0: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style.
1: Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts. Keeping you it strong style, let's go. go. It's the Ace of Podcast, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in burial the From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social suplex is a network where we can get it done. I'ma chill and let him have it. Cause this is just an intro. Keeping it strong style. Six stars from the get-go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo. On. This is Keeping It Strong Style with your hosts, Jeremy Donovan and the young boy, Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dorman here with the young boy Josh Smith and Sir Sam Brown from WrestlingHeadlines.com. On today's show, we'll be covering all the latest news, answering your questions, and discussing the IWGP IC title reigns of Shinsuke Nakamura. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, proslentees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only Browser extension for njpwworld.com With features like dark mode Improved translations and layouts Custom and shared playlists Synchronized viewing parties And much 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 more It takes njpwworld to the next level Visit njpwext.us today For details And for next week's voting For next week's topic Voting will drop Tuesday Noon eastern time we will be having Rich Latta on from One Nation Radio, and he's chosen the poll theme of the elite. So your voting options will be Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks Hangman, Adam Page, and Cody. So go out there, get your votes, and let us know what you want to talk oh, about next week. What about Marty? Well, on a Twitter poll, you can only have four options. and, and plus he's, Oh, really? And, and plus he's dead.
2: Ah. Uh.
0: <laughs> you can and, only and have- everyone we rich will just love it if you get cody so, <laughs> so everyone vote cody vote <laughs> cody vote once vote on vote cody
2: <laughs> i didn't realize you can only have four uh options on a twitter poll
1: yeah
0: oh wow okay so I'm serious though guys rich rich will just absolutely he'll adore it if everyone jumps in there and votes Cody, that will be his absolute favorite thing for a great episode. <laughs> vote vote. <laughs>
2: Listen, listen, Sam, I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but you've to get some serious heat with rich. So.
0: <laughs> I can handle it. I live halfway around the world. I can handle the with rich. <laughs>
1: oh man. So like you heard in the intro, we have uh, Sir Sam on this week from wrestling headlines slash Lords of pain. First time on the show. I mean, we've, know each other for a while now and talked via you know Twitter but yeah first time having you on the show how are you doing man
0: I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've been listening since day one to you guys and wow. it's uh, I've, I've as as I think we'll probably get into in a moment, um, I've lived my New Japan journey with you guys. So it's really cool to be on the show. I'm really, yeah, I'm really excited and really excited to break down Shinsuke Nakamura and the IC title as well. It's going to be a lot. I've had a lot of fun doing the research for this. Uh, uh, yeah, really looking forward to the show
2: now while this might be your first time actually being on the show it's not the first time oh, you've ever been
0: mentioned on the
2: show <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh boy boy that was some fun <laughs> i i do
2: believe that i cut a scathing promo on you sir that was uh audio broadcast
0: on the show yep
1: yeah, there there we, was
0: uh, did you play my promo on the show or i think we did i think we did yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, excellent. That was great fun. On the Ricky and Clive Invitational, for those of you who don't listen into Ricky and Clive, we they, they had a quiz time invitational last year and me and Josh ended up going against one another in the semi-finals and I uh, I cut a I thought it was a pretty pretty great promo person. it my, was. From my garage here <laughs> in Australia. Talking about how I was gonna take him to school and show him how great Aussies were and then uh this guy came in and told me I had the weight of the world on my shoulders and he was worried about me and it turns out he was very right to be worried <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> He absolutely towed me up.
1: Oh my gosh. The, the
2: interesting thing though, I'm thinking about is like I've got two men that I bested in that tournament on the show at me today. We just need to call Rance Morris over and uh round out this mm. uh bunch. <laughs>
0: You yeah. and him still on speaking terms. He was pretty salty about that. Pretty,
2: <laughs> got pretty I, tense at the end of that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we are, but I actually haven't spoken to Rand since that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this. Uh, me and Jeremy, uh, because we're partners, it was more of a uh, respectful, strong style-based competition, and it was tooth and nail. We didn't need to cut promos on each other, but then you know, Sam – Started digging my name through the mud. start <laughs> making did it, about we did the WWE Attitude Era program. <laughs> he started making it about the entertainment, and not the sport.
1: <laughs> you, you see what when Josh and I went on? It was like when two stable mates It was like you know yes. Nakamura and Okada in the G One when they're both in chaos. Yes, like they're both in chaos, but it's for the G One. But then Sam comes and- in as Bullet Club, and it's like nah.
2: <laughs> and, and. and uh if i remember correctly those two guys went up, went head to head in the 24 and 25 g1 climax and you know I-, I caught jeremy with the spinning armbar at the last minute i just it was like that much mm-hmm. next time we go up who knows
1: it's going to be a Raymaker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you pull my eight the hell out of me in the same battle <laughs> That's uh, actually a, it, it. Actually, was a count out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a ref stoppage.
0: Like, <laughs> no, uh, my uh, my my wife, came in and threw in the towel. <laughs> 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 You've had enough,
1: <another> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, Sam, anytime we have new guests on the show for the first time, kind of like to get a little background on them on their New Japan journey. So, how did you start watching New Japan Pro Wrestling?
0: Uh it's I've, I'm a fairly a fairly recent convert to New Japan. I the first match I ever watched was Omega and Okada from Wrestle Kingdom 11, uh, and I started watching regularly Wrestle Kingdom 12. So there's actually a podcast of me. Um, I was on the Lords of Pain radio post show because I'm a writer for for Lords of Pain, and I've you know been a WWE fan for a long time, but um, they wanted. For the Wrestle Kingdom 12 post show, someone who'd never watched New Japan before, because that was the case for a lot of people. That was an onboarding point for a lot of people, and there's audio of me straight after my first show, kind of reflecting on it. So that was where I kicked off my my regular journey for New Japan. Was Wrestle Kingdom 12 that uh, when, but off the back of the you know the amazing work that Kenny Omega did against Okada throughout that year.
1: Yeah, Matt, that's a great place to jump in.
2: That's a great place to start. Uh, I feel like that's where a lot of the popularity of the show kind of uh, increased. Um, I wonder what that uh, initial conversation was like. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, Ricky and Clive watched the Wrestle Kingdom, having watched No New Japan, and both of them were like, eh, "It's pretty good." And then, like a few months later, Ricky watched this G1. And he's like, "My God!" <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and his whole tone changed. <laughs> it's interesting because I I know having watched it, like having reflected on, you know, what I've learned, I certainly having mostly been a WWE viewer, you know, having dabbled in the odd indie thing that I'd seen. And of course, watching those Omega and Okada matches, I, I certainly wasn't ready for the Suzuki Goto match from Wrestle Kingdom 12. And I, I really, I really did not like it the first time I, I um, actually spoke on there like quite negatively towards it, and I've since gone back and watched it. Now, sort of more understanding the niche of what they're do- what they're actually doing. Um, mm. But looking at it from my sort of WWE-centric world, I was like, this, this, I, I don't like this, what these guys are doing. Um, but now. You know, I absolutely love Minoru Suzuki, <laughs> um, and, and I, I, I've I've gone back and watched that match and been like, man, this is a hell of a match. These is, you know, and the character stuff they're doing is actually, you know, quite quite nuanced in there. But at the time, yeah, that was a weird one for me. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that show in general because, you know, of course the Omega, the Omega and Chris Jericho match. I think I said that if if Omega ever wanted to do an audition for the WWE, then that's about as good as you can ever get. Um, for, and, you know, the Okada Naito match, uh, um, the implications, who was on your last show, he did some really great columns sort of summing up the build to that. Uh, and I think there was also Showbuckle, who you guys have shouted out a few times, did a really great video sort of explaining the story. So I, I loved that match as well um, because I sort of knew what was coming up to it. Um, yeah, that was a really great time to kick off. And I think the thing that really truly cemented me as a fan, though, was the the G1 that year. Watching the G1 is just the highlight every single year um so both years i've been a fan and i've gone back and watched some other g1s sort of watching the highlights and it's such a such an amazing time to be a fan of wrestling
1: yeah man love love me a good g1 and i'm i'm you know Mm -hmm. very hopeful that we're you know g1's gonna be all set for this year and definitely a great place to jump in And that's one you know the that's a tournament where most of the match of the year candidates will come from so speaking of that what has been your favorite new japan match
0: It's, it's hard to tell. I think, um, the Omega Okada matches will always have like a special place in my fandom because they're the ones that sort of turned me on to, to, um, new Japan. And, you know, watching that Wrestle Kingdom 11 match was just like a brain explosion of like, wow, this is something completely, I didn't know wrestling could be like this. Mm. Um, just an amazing. So that will always have a really special place in my New Japan fandom. But if I had to make a, a choice, I'd probably say the Abushi and Kota Ibushi and Tanahashi match from the finals of the mm. 2018 G1. I adore that match. It is so amazing. It's so cinematic in the way that they, um, the story that they tell, and I. I will never not get goosebumps for that moment where Koda strikes Tanahashi down, and then Tanahashi, like you can almost see if it, it, it's like a scene in a movie where the hero, like looks down at the ground i don't know if you guys watch anime but like uh, yes they yes. looks down at the ground like grabs some dust and sees it like trickle through their hands <laughs> and has a flashback to their family and their friends and then just roars across the ring just this absolute force and it i don't know the, well, the first time i saw that i like jumped out of my of my couch um, here's
2: the funny thing about that is tanahashi has done that so many times throughout his career. And in fact, I think we're even going to talk about some matches where we're going to see him do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so is Kota Ibushi. And Kota Ibushi, I think, is more known for that than Tanahashi is. Even though Tanahashi's always had it in his repertoire, Ibushi does it all the time. People talk about murder Kota, you know, and the times where he snapped. And even, like, in the Wrestle Kingdom match with Nakamura, he kind of snaps and starts going into strikes. And I I have to think, because he's such a big fan of uh, Tanahashi... That maybe he even borrows that from him, Definitely. but in that match when Tanahashi did it, he's like, "Let me show you how <laughs> it is done, Junior." <laughs>
0: well, it was like it was like you had Murda Coda pushing him across the the ring, and then he was like, "Oh wait, this is a force that you are not ready for, Koda Ibushi. And Coda's right. like trying to slap him, and Tanahashi's just staring him down and pushing forward, pushing forward, and. There are times that Tanahashi's done similar things, but that was the first time I'd seen it. And I feel like that's still the most evocative time I've seen it done when it's just been so out there. And then the ending of that match when Kota Ibushi is just standing there to take the hi-fi flow, and there's this... It's just such an incredible shot of, um, <laughs> of him standing there, just completely helpless, unable to do anything other than stand and take it. Um, I, think w- I think
2: what I think what you're trying to say about Tanahashi is that he showed him his final form.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that- he,
2: went, he went Super Saiyan. Yeah, 3. <laughs> that whole that- and, and, that and map- here's the thing: he, he couldn't he couldn't uh, keep his final form for too long; it would weaken him. But <laughs> when he's at his final form, he's almost insurmountable.
0: Yeah, Th-
1: that that yeah, match. So I think- that match was um, Final Form Frieza versus Super Saiyan Goku on Planet Namek. <laughs> that's what that match was.
0: Yeah, that was yeah, No, so no, I no, no, that's, no.
2: That's I think you're talking about the Kenny Omega versus Tanahashi match, sir. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: I think I think if I had to pick a favorite match, that would that would be the one. Um just so cinematic, so emotive, so evocative, and yeah, that moment those those few moments just uh, absolutely spine tingling. And to also have seen Tanahashi's journey across the G1 up to that point, it was like when he was raging across that ring, it was like he was, you know, saying to all of us doubters who'd been like, Tanahashi's, you know, he's done. He's not going to be at the top level anymore. He was just saying like, no, piss off. My time is not done. I'm like, I'm raging against the dying light. Um, (laughs) And just, just this, This force coming across the ring. That was, yeah. So that would be my favorite New Japan match.
2: Well, you're talking about uh, Kotobushi and Tanahashi quite a bit here. So that leads us into our last question. Favorite wrestler in New Japan? Is it one of those two guys or is it someone else?
0: I saw this question on the rundown sheet and it's hard to say because, like, Kenny Omega was my original favorite wrestler in New Japan, like, you know, like many people who came in it from. Yeah, Ken, <laughs> Jeremy's got a Kenny Omega shirt on, but uh, I would say my favourites now would be I, I love Zack Saber Junior. I think everything he does is is hilarious, but also like he's at the same time as being hilarious, he is like utterly serious and an utter like ass kicker. Um, Absolutely, John, John Moxley is my favourite wrestler of all time. So Dean Ambrose. I came back to watching wrestling in 2014 when Daniel Bryan was going, doing the S movement. And I always say I came back for Daniel Bryan, but I stayed because of Dean Ambrose. And so, but I I wouldn't really call him a new Japan wrestler. He's, he's like something different. Um, Minoru Suzuki. I I just love the, the character of Minoru Suzuki um, and the, just the the intensity that he brings, Um, you know, like Zack Sabre Jr., he you know, he has got a little bit of almost humour to him sometimes, but, you know, when, when it's about to go down, it's about to go down with him, but If I had to say the guy who I most get behind um, more than anything else, it's probably not someone who's been brought up on your show before, but it would be Robbie Eagles. Um, For those of you who can't tell by my accent, I'm I'm an Aussie, uh, and I've seen Robbie Eagles on the Australian Indies, and so him coming into uh, him coming into New Japan was awesome, and I got really into his storyline last year where he joined where he ended up. Throughout the the best of the super juniors, kind of had that tension with Bullet Club, and eventually ended up turning on um, turning on Bullet Club. And I was actually at the Sydney show where he did that, um, and that was that's probably one of my favourite nights of watching live wrestling. That I've got another like from another local. Organization who my my best one of my best friends wrestles for. I've got a really like a, a night that I that I love from that. But that one and the Robbie Eagles turning on Bullet Club night was just insane. Um, so good to be in a live crowd and see that. Um, and see this guy who I'd seen on the Aussie Indies getting like uh, a louder cheer than Tanahashi and Okada. Um, because of this story that he'd gone through. So, yeah, my. Uh, my I feel
2: slightly offended at this point because you said someone who hasn't been mentioned on the show. We talk about Robbie Eagles on this show quite often. Oh, I, meant
0: <laughs> as, I meant as the favorite. It's a
2: favorite so. <laughs> That's slanderous. That's yeah. slanderous. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I knew it. So I knew what you Eagles, meant.
0: Favorite. Yeah. Um, but others I love. Shingo Takagi, obviously Tanahashi, um... Yeah, I'll I'll stop talking now because I could just list the whole roster. Much. Yeah, I, was, I, I
2: was gonna say he's like man, Joki, He just with his his aerial lucha libre style <laughs> and he's pipe. I love it when Jeff Cobb shows up. <laughs> oh man! Oh man, TJP on the North American circuit is so good. <laughs> No, but uh, that's awesome, man. I I actually like it's always uh, great to kind of, you know, we have guests on kind of see what their background is. And, you know, it's quite obvious that you're like really passionate about this, which uh, is awesome. Not that other people aren't, but, uh, you know, it really (laughs) comes through. So that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, I
0: just I just blabber on until one of you guys cuts me <laughs> off. So. Oh, we're, we're respectful. hosts.
2: We're, we're, we're not going to cut you off. We're going to let you keep going. And oh God, it's a long. That's night. How, gonna be that's how we end night, up with four-hour episodes. Yeah, <laughs> on, on, on this
1: on this show, we let I'm everybody get, get their stuff beer in. Or something. <laughs> yeah, we let everybody get their stuff in on this show. Mm-hmm. Equal opportunity. And we,
2: and we sell for you too. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> So um, let's transition into this week's topic So the the poll option was Best IWGP IC champions That featured Goto, Naito, Tanahashi, and Nakamura And winning the poll overwhelmingly Was Shinsuke Nakamura Blew it away This was, you know, the previous polls had been pretty close But at the end of the day, uh, Nakamura kind of blew it, blew it away, and uh, rightfully so. Probably, you know, the, the most iconic IWGP uh, IC champion in history, the guy who elevated the belt to the next level, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. Um, so let's kind of talk us overall thoughts real quick on Shinsuke Nakamura. One
2: thing uh, that I've learned about Shinsuke Nakamura is that he might have the greatest collection of epic, incredible nicknames of any wrestler ever in history. Uh, Let me read you just a list. Some of these you will know. Most of them I I didn't know, and I doubt most people will know unless they're like diehards. So the King of Strong Style, the Super Rookie, the Child of God, the Black (laughs) Savior, the Super Nova, El Samurai de NJPW, <laughs> the chosen savior, the one who seeks the truth with deep desire, the artist. <laughs> what the heck? He will
0: He will always be known to me as Knackers, though. <laughs> uh,
1: so, Sam, your overall thoughts on uh, Shinsuke Nakamura?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. Having... The first time I ever saw Nakamura was uh, was on NXT, that, that NXT match. <laughs> and, yeah, I only, I only started watching in 2000- no, 2017, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not making fun
2: of you. I think it's, it's just funny to think that. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, hey, you guys invited me on, right? <laughs> um, it's on you. Um, yeah, and, and the thing that or, that just strikes me from him is just his incredible charisma. And just effortless charisma as well. Like I feel like the most natural comparison to him is Tanahashi because you know they were sort of they came through at about the same time. At first, it looked like Nakamura was like this chosen prodigy that would dare, but that would be you know the number one guy. But then Tanahashi sort of overtook him, and Nakamura had to almost catch up in 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 many ways. And and while Tanahashi is like Sort of really, I'd say, earnest. Um, he's obviously he's charismatic, but he's like really earnest. Nakamura has just got like the rock star, effortless rock star charisma. Um, you know, without even trying, he just oozes cool um, and oozes. You just you just want to look at him um, from the way he looks, the way he moves, the facial expressions. It just is so effortlessly charismatic and cool. Um, You know, whereas other wrestlers, you can sort of see them pushing it and, and it fit like you can feel them doing the moves Um, with Nakamura. It's just so natural and effortless in his charisma. Um, That's, that's my, my, I guess my main impression of who, what, I don't know, what sets Nakamura apart from almost anyone else really.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think with Nakamura, here's the funny thing, and I'll try to keep it brief so we can kind of get a little further into this, but, you know, Nakamura, the first time I thought I really became aware of him and saw him, I think for like a lot of Westerners was obviously Wrestle Kingdom 9, you know, the epic entrance. The uh, you know the Freddie Mercury Michael Jackson illusions you know the style of his wrestling with all the strikes almost like Bruce Lee esque um, you know just all the like he mentioned all the charisma and, and everything of that nature and you know so I kind of saw him there I started I became a huge fan I've been following his career ever since then and that was the first time I thought I, I had become aware of him until I realized. That I had watched so many of his matches before, but didn't it wasn't until way later that I connected that this guy that I watched back in like 05, 06, 07 was this guy in 2015. Like I didn't even realize that they were literally the same guy. Like I didn't connect it at all. Like, and then I realized like, oh, that super rookie guy the guy that Brock Lesnar squashed like <laughs> that was Nakamura <laughs> oh, oh my god I had no idea bro it, it, it's weird and it's funny because us admitting that like the first time that a lot of people became aware of him in 2015 probably like there's probably like super fans who've know who've been following him since like his early rookie days who are like probably laughing about that the same way I laughed about like sort of seeing him in NXT and <laughs> you know, what year what year is that 2017 uh 2016?
0: 2016 yeah. yeah start of
1: 2016 yeah yeah so yeah for me yeah Wrestle Kingdom 9 was the first time I was made aware of Nakamura and yeah like you guys mentioned yeah like the entrance the, the energy the aura the facial expressions his movement his the mannerisms like there's just nobody that can, will be able to emulate him I mean if I feel like if if a wrestler was like, I want to be like Nakamura and try to do what he do, you could tell like they would be just trying way too hard and it wouldn't come off natural. He's uh, it's, it's a very special talent, you know, unique charisma unique mannerisms, very strong style, obviously of strong style, you know, with that kind of shoot MMA mixed in with some flashy stuff, a little bit of Lucha Libre from his time in Mexico. Just a really, you know, well-rounded performer. Um, and I, I love watching his matches and going back and um, just seeing a lot of the great stuff he did in New Japan.
2: Yeah, and, and I think with the styling of Nakamura, one thing I love is just the various influences that he does have, like you mentioned, Jeremy front from, um, charisma standpoint, you know, he's mentioned so many times how Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson are like the inspirations for his character. Uh, but then when it comes to the actual wrestling, it's like, he's got background, like literally a lot of people don't realize, like he's a multiple time champion, both on the world and national level in amateur wrestling. Um, trained in mma had a pretty promising career during the Inokiism days he, i think he went like three one and one or like four one-on-one one. um he studied like goju ryu karate kung fu um and like bruce lee is his other like major influence going into wrestling so it's kind of interesting a lot of wrestlers you know when you talk to them especially in japan like who are your influences? they'll be like kijimuto shinashimoto inoki kawada four pillars stuff like that And he's like uh, I like Freddie Mercury. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it's, it, it's, it's such a strange combination, uh, you know, of entertainment and, and vicious martial arts, which I love.
0: <laughs> yeah, the other thing I would say is in the ring, just so silky smooth in all mm. these movements. Like everything flows together so well, everything is just so clean and smooth. Um, when he does it, obviously hard hitting, um, you know, he's the king of strong style for a reason. But my overall impression of him in the ring is just everything flows and chains together in such a beautiful way. Um, and it's yeah, I think, as you said, Jeremy, if if another wrestler tried to do it, it's like it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same because they wouldn't have the same like charisma and they wouldn't. He's unique. Um, in the way he does things. And it's, yeah, he's a very special talent.
1: Yeah. Um, so on this episode, we're going to be mainly focusing on the IC title reigns of Nakamura. But before we kind of get to that, um, I think it would be a, little, a good idea to kind of just give a brief summary on how we got from the super rookie to the king of strong style. So Josh, kind of, can you tell us like the transition there of how Nakamura kind of, more of a shoot-style wrestler kind of transitions into this, you know, King of Strong style, Freddie Mercury, Michael Jackson type of character.
2: Yeah, so, um, and this isn't going to be a perfect summary or or anything of that nature, so I'm just going to kind of give you guys bullet points. Might not even be in perfect, uh, you know, orderly timeline or anything like that, so uh, you super pro nerds out there, (laughs) don't... (laughs) Don't try to call me out on this stuff. But, uh, you know, Nakamura starts with the dojo in, like, 2002. We kind of discussed his amateur background everything like that. And, um, you know, Inoki saw him as being a future ace of the company, someone that he could uh, make be, like, the new Inoki, like, the new champion of the company who could defend against actual shoot fighters, kind of in the vein of, like, a Hashimoto or an Ogawa And that's kind of what gave him the edge over, say, other up-and-comers like Shibata and um, Tanahashi, things like that. And in the dojo, they said he was just phenomenal. Like, his timing, his pace, his skill, his ability, his creativeness. And um, they kind of gave him the nickname of Super Rookie. And so, like, when he made his debut, like, he was, maybe in his first or second match, I can't remember, he was already wearing... Full gear, like full tights uh, with designs. And like, they didn't really give him too much of the young boy treatment, which people were like, What the heck? (laughs) (laughs) We're talking, we're not talking like first or second match in New Japan. We're talking first or second match ever, you know? Uh, So it's really crazy. And 15 months into his career, he wins the IWGP heavyweight championship. Um, He beats Tenzan for it. And he goes on. During this first phase of his career, to, to win the title two more times. Um, and during that period, the, the guy that we're going to be discussing with the showmanship, the pageantry, um, the facial expressions, you know, just everything that people kind of associate with Nakamura, he was nothing like that. Like, he was an ass kicker, he was very straight-laced, very traditional Japanese, strong-style type of wrestler um and he was good he was really good but it was hard a the company was on uh their down period that we've talked about so the business was not at the heights it could be plus um the way they pushed him didn't give the company a lot of reasons to or the fans to kind of attach to him like there was no story arc to kind of really hold on to kind of similar to how people reacted when Paige sort of first showed up, you know, uh, she came in and won the title like night one. And then where do you go from there? That's kind of the same thing they did to Nakamura. It was sort of hard for people to kind of accept this young upstart who sort of won the title very quickly in short order. But, you know, he wasn't like a Goldberg phenom coming in and fucking everybody up. So it was, you know, people kind of saw him as maybe even being undeserving at the time that makes sense yeah um during this period he had a, a, a tag team with uh Hiroshi Tanahashi they won the IWGP tag team titles together um before they would eventually break up and start their major feud that sort of defined the early phase of their career and they sort of saw each other as grand rivals well actually that's not true Tanahashi saw Nakamura as his grand rival um Nakamura always saw Tanahashi as a thorn in his side that he couldn't rid himself of and never considered themselves to be on the same level, always considered Tanahashi to kind of be like this past. (laughs) 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 When in reality, they were each other's generational rivals, similar to like a Cena and uh, Randy Orton sort of situation. But um, you know, through this period, there's a lot of starts and stops. Um, uh, uh, Nakamura would go on two learning excursions uh one to the u.s one to mexico um he would also be fighting a lot in mixed martial arts so his training for mma kept him out of the ring for long stretches of time Uh, a lot of injuries were incurred during that period there was a lot of infamous shoot and worked angles uh involving him and some of the early um mma practitioners like ogawa and fujita um him and Inoki even had he, at one point, Inoki like called Fujita to like shoot on him, uh, during a match. And after the whole scuffle, he, he came in and like beat like, Inoki slapped and beat up, um, <laughs> Nakamura for, to shame him publicly. Like <laughs> <laughs> shit was kind of wild. <laughs> so, but by the time, um, Nakamura gets done with his like third learning ex- or his second learning excursion, um, comes back new new attitude new attire and he kind of slowly starts to morph into the guy that we see now like little elements start getting implemented um and this is around the time that he was part of new japan black stable and when chono left black um black was disbanded all the members that were still in it became rise and then and with the rise storyline with Great Bash Heel kind of turning on on um, Makabe the Great Bash Heel kind of joined with Rise and they formed Chaos and that kind of gave rise to the uh, to the Nakamura that we know today and you know uh, uh, but by the time we're getting to 2012 all of this has happened he's gone through his super rookie phases he's already had his 3 IWGP title reigns he's not going to have another one for the rest of his career, which is shocking because he's going to become a bigger star and never actually regain the belt. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's going to be the leader of the most prolific heel, uh, team, or at least one of them in the company. And, um, we s- slowly start to see him become the Nakamura that people like kind of know. And, uh, you know, like are familiar with today. And, it wasn't always like
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, we get, we get this transition from, like you mentioned, Super Rookie to the King of Strong Style. And before we jump into uh, his title reigns, I think it'd be good to give a little background on the creation of the IC title. So on um, October 3rd, 2010, uh, the American promotion, Jersey All Pro, they announced that they had reached an agreement with New Japan to run uh, shows in the U.S. And New Japan officially announced this. Invasion Tour uh, 2012 Attack on the East Coast Tour on January 4th, 2011 uh, With shows taking place uh, May 13th in Rahway New Jersey, May 14th in New York City, and May 15th in Philadelphia Um, and the following day they added during the tour that they would introduce this IWGP Intercontinental Championship and the inaugural champion would be uh, crowned in a tournament and so in the tournament we had uh, former WWE star MVP uh, who had signed with New Japan? All in.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, we had uh, this guy named Kazuchika Okada, who had been on excursion with TNA. We had Hideo, uh, Hideo Saito We had um, uh, former IWGP Junior Tag Champion at the time Tetsuya Naito and Yujiro Takahashi, who were of No Limit. We had Tamatonga, Toriano, and independent wrestler Dan Math who made his first appearance for New Japan during that tour. Uh, during the tournament, Tamatonga suffered an injury, which took him out, and he was replaced by former TNA and Ring of Honor star Josh Daniels. And then the finals of the tournament happened on May 15th, where MVP defeated Toroyano in the finals of the tournament to become the first-ever IWGP Intercontinental Champion.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that whole... Um that whole entire bracket kind of plays out the way that some of these lower card tournaments sort of play out. So like, you know, when you see like uh, a title that's maybe less important or maybe a crap, uh, like a tournament crown, that's less important. They'll put big names in there and you, you're thinking, Oh my God, we're going to end up with this banging, you know, banger, uh, you know, finals. And then, Oftentimes those guys get eliminated very quickly under whatever circumstances and then you end up with Torriano versus
0: MVP. <laughs> 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 and you're like, what? <laughs> I as for part of this uh this project this preparing for this podcast, I thought I'd just watch this match. And it is not New Japan pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, this God. is the most WWE stuff you've ever seen.
1: <laughs> and you know, and we've seen this with New Japan as they've, you know, worked on the Western expansion. They they always feel like, all right, the West is WWE. So we need to get a former WWE guy When we've seen this in the past When they brought in Billy Gunn To face Tanahashi on the Long Beach shows You know, they have brought in Cody and Juice Robinson And they bring in these like WWE guys And they're like, alright, well people in, WWE, people in the West love WWE So if we use their guys, their former guys Then that's going to help us get business in the West And kind of increase our popularity And sometimes when they these WWE guys are not the best obviously with MVP MVP I loved MVP and during his you know WWE run but when you think of New Japan I don't I don't think of Montel Montavious Porter I'm sorry
2: <laughs> <laughs> well you know the, the other thing to do to keep in mind here is that New Japan had very serious illusions back in 2010 2011 to go into America Obviously, we wouldn't see like the culmination of that until much later, but this was their first you know foray into the States. And they were planning to expand back then. They were planning to try and grow. And this was gonna be the title that was represented abroad and kind of the other touring title in America aside from the IWGP championship. Uh, in essence, what most people thought the U.S. title would eventually was supposed to be, and I don't even think it became what it was supposed to be. Th- th- this was the first concept of that. So, like, this was their quote-unquote U.S. title before there was a U.S. title,
1: right? And you know, and obviously, I think most fans probably will recognize the white strap title. the White strap with gold plate title, but the original title is actually a black strap, kind of a bronze. Looking title title did not look great And with MVP as a champion It was seen very much as A mid card title I mean even the tag titles were probably Seen as a a higher um, Kind of goal to get at that point Than this IC title And it wasn't treated seriously At all until we get to Shinsuke Nakamura Challenging Hiroki Goto July 22nd 2012 For the championship Where um nakamura would defeat goto to kick off his first title reign
2: yeah nakamura um was very outspokenly you know disapproving of the first belt design uh you know he didn't like that it had bronze plates or the black strap uh he said it looked like a 10 yen coin and saw it as a parody of what the iwgp title actually was uh, so yeah exactly what you're saying uh, You know Jeremy he completely Was disapproving of the look Of the actual physical belts Kind of like how people make fun of the uh, The WWE tag team titles You know the penny titles they used to have now I guess they're dime titles <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah he, did, he didn't like it at all Like he's very public about it
1: Yeah So uh, did you By chance did you guys happen to watch this first uh, Match up here I know it's not the one that we're reviewing But did you guys watch this one?
0: Yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to do a, a Goto match, actually, because Naka, Nakamura and Goto would end up having a lot of a lot of matches over the um, Intercontinental belt. And I don't think this was their best by any stretch, but it was certainly, you know, it, it alludes to... I'm not sure if they'd had matches before against one another, but this certainly alludes to the sort of amazing, like, real banger matches that they would have later on. Um, you know, very hard-hitting, very strong style. Everything you'd expect from... From these two, and sort of the story is—I mean, it's very prophetic for what would go on to happen to the Intercontinental Title. But the story of this match is very much that um, Nakamura is better than Goto, but Goto's going to make Nakamura earn this—earn this win. Um, and force him to fight for his life to actually get this title, even though Nakamura is obviously and clearly the better person, but uh, the better fighter, not the better person, <laughs> but the, <laughs> the better fighter and the better wrestler. Um, and and these two would go on to to trade this title back and forth down the line as well. Uh, and this this is certainly a really great start to Nakamura's title reign.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree with your analysis there. I also decided to watch this match partly out of just sheer curiosity because when you go online and you try to look up reviews, I couldn't find any reviews. I couldn't find any ratings, and I was like, "That's interesting." Uh, Like you know, uh, Sam said these two guys have had some really great matches with one another. In fact, you know, the the whole thing with Goto and Nakamura is that they came up in the same class, um, so. Outside of the ring, they're two of the best friends in the business, you know, in New Japan, um, you know, because because of their close age and proximity and how many times they've competed against one another. So they always have really great matches. And, you know, I I was really pleasantly surprised when I watched this. It was at the anniversary show, I think the 40th. But um, it was really good, honestly. And it was it was exact story that Sam mentioned, you know. Keep in mind, Nakamura, leader of his own stable, three-time former IWGP champion, coming in to challenge for a belt held by Hiroki Goto, the perennial IWGP challenger slash loser, the, the guy who's challenged <laughs> for the title more times and lost than anyone else in history. So they're clearly at different levels. And um, the the whole first half of the match is Nakamura just controlling everything and just showing – and being cocky and having swagger and beating the shit out of Goto. And then Goto turns around, turns the whole thing around and he starts land blasting him with big combos and getting him in trouble and almost submitting him, almost pinning him on multiple c- occasions. And then Nakamura finally turns it up and gets him out of there and wins the belt. And uh it, it's not that again, like Sam said, their best match ever, but I don't think it's their worst by any means. It's pretty good. I would go like, i don't know three and three quarters maybe four stars on it it's
1: pretty it's good yeah i watched this match also in preparation for this show and yeah it's in that four star yeah three and a quarter four star range and yeah you guys kind of broke in the story there and yeah it's just very interesting to see both of those guys at that time in their career you know goto was still kind of wearing the you know that that dress kind of pants looking gimmick that he was doing at that time and <laughs>
0: not a good look yeah not a good look yeah
1: and um he was doing the, uh, I believe it's called a Shouten um that like that suplex rock bottom thing as his finisher, which he got a great near fall off of it in that match, and the crowd was pretty invested in that match, some great crowd reactions. But yeah, yeah. very very interesting seeing you know Goto kind of that second part of the match taking it to Nakamura, and Nakamura having to be the one to kind of overcome and come back and win the title.
2: Yeah, and going into this match, we you know started off the IWGP title with MVP as the champion. He held it for 148 days and then drops it to after defending the title twice against Yano and his third defense, he defends against Masato Tanaka. Um, A lot of fans probably are not as familiar with Masato Tanaka's work in New Japan, more probably more aware of him from like uh, FMW, Big Japan, you know, the the, uh, independent scene in, in Japan, as well as like obviously his ECW runs, which are very prolific. But man, he was just so awesome. I love his work in New Japan, and um, I think he's probably the first guy that kind of brought a measure of respect to the title. But even even then, like some of these matches, you look him and Hanma, him and MVP, him and Goto. Um, I don't think they probably trended as high as they could or should have for the time. And Goto takes the title off of him at the end of 2012, and you know, then we get into the Goto, uh, you know, and Nakamura phase. And, you know, you're looking at MVP, Tanaka, Goto, you know, great wrestlers, but not top stars, not world beaters. These are seen as lower mid-card uh, talents in the company. Goto is probably the highest level guy that had held the belt to this point, And he wasn't really setting the world on fire with his title reign prior to Nakamura lifting the title off of him. So you you've got a belt that's like... It's not even, like, co-headlining or even third from the top or sometimes even fourth from the top. We're talking about, like, something that's lower than the – like you said, it's probably on the same level or even lower than the tag titles. It's definitely lower than the IWGP. (laughs) Never three, man. Yeah. At that that point, it's probably seen, like, the never three man or maybe even, like, how the U.S. title is kind of viewed nowadays.
0: Yeah. Um, so hey, uh, that's on my boy, Mox. You you you're quite down about that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I'll tell you what.
2: Since Mox has held the title, does anyone even like kind of remember that he's the champion? Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> they, they haven't wrestled since, like. February.
2: <laughs> I, I think, but uh... it's not just it's not just him too. It's like he's a double champ. He's a champ champ. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think that titles mattered since Kenny Omega really <laughs> dropped it.
1: I think uh, Tony Khan should allow Mox to walk out on Dynamite with the U.S. title just to remind fans, let them know.
2: <laughs> let them know who the, who the champ champ is. Yes. That one on
1: each shoulder. Yes. <laughs>
2: Not only am I the champion of the world, I'm also the U.S. champion. <laughs> the U.S. champion of Japan.
1: <laughs> you see, what what Gato, sh- what Gato should have done is he should allow AEW to have Mox defend the U.S. title. That way that belt actually still has some defenses building up this year while they're on hiatus. Now
2: they'll pull a double cross, and Alan Angels will end up the champion. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: then we're going to have to book this Zack Sabre-Allen Engels feud. I don't know.
1: Uh, so, yeah, so uh, Nakamura defeats Goto here, becomes IC champ. Then in August of that year, August 26th, he would go to the U.S. to make his first offense, defeating uh, Oliver John at Sacramento Wrestling Federation in California. Then he comes back to Japan. Where,
2: where, did you did you gentlemen catch this match?
1: I did not watch this in, one.
2: In preparation for this show?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who Oliver John is. <laughs>
2: uh, really? I heard he wrestled John Juris back in the day and tapped out to the jurisdiction. So I don't
1: know.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, John Juris don't remember who that job was. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: usually don't remember the guys that had a feat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he comes back to Japan, October eighth, King of Pro Wrestling. He once again uh, faces Goto. Uh, Goto's rematch here. He defeats Goto in that matchup, keeps the title. Then we go on the next month.
2: And and one thing I think by this point, and I don't know for certain, but I think by this point he's already introduced the new title. Um, so I, he definitely introduced it very very quickly into his reign and um he was the one who actually designed uh everything about it so he designed the white strap we all kind of know nakamura's a little bit of a mark for uh uh north american culture and everything and clearly like had aspirations for wwe so i think he might have taken some of that inspiration from like the Shawn michaels intercontinental uh, <laughs> belt.
1: definitely but
2: he had said he said that he wanted gold plates to represent that it was an important belt and then a white strap to indicate that this title for the first time ever had a symbolic clean slate for its holder and for the holder to define what that title meant to the company as opposed to, you know, the Godos and the Tanakas and the MVPs of the past.
1: <laughs> yeah, and coming into Power Struggle, the belt was definitely there. So I, I watched this one um, as part of just catching up with this project. for uh, So Power Struggle of that year, Nakamura defended against machine gun caller Anderson. In a pretty good matchup. And yeah, at this point, he, he had the white strap coming into this match. And then from there, he goes on to the Tokyo Dome, January 4th, 2013, Wrestle so Kingdom 7, to face off against Sakuraba. And this is one of the matches that was selected. Josh, this was your selection for us to watch. So let's talk about this uh, Nakamura versus Sakuraba match.
2: <laughs> for, for better or for worse, this was my
1: selection. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, uh, kick it off. What, what were your thoughts on this matchup?
0: I to to kick things off, I think that if this was almost uh, an indication of what Nakamura had done for the IC title to this point, you know, like as we said, it was like very much a discarded title that no one really cared about, um, and then when Nakamura takes over it, he's slowly getting bigger and bigger. Um, matches against you know whoever that fella was that we talked about, and I've already forgotten the name of. Then a rematch against Goto, you know. Then a match against Carl Anderson, and then this is a really f- a feature match because Sakuraba is a big name. Um, Josh should probably be able to go into more depth of who Sakuraba is, um, but I am a, I'm a bit of an MMA fan as well, and I know that particularly in Japan he has a very big history and a very storied history, um, particularly being the Gracie Hunter, um, the guy who was like the one guy that was able to get one up on the Gracie family in, you know, the the late 90s, early noughties, MMA, in kind of like the Wild West days of that, and was quite infamous um, for that. And suddenly this title that was once, you know, discarded, no one really cared about, um, it's in a featured position on a a guy who's a former IWGP champion um, against... You know, uh, a guy who's got a storied history and is very is very well known in Japan at the biggest show of the year.
1: Definitely.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you did a great job kind of summing up some of those uh, bullet points there, uh, Sam. Um, you know, Sakuraba was clearly a. Um, <clears throat> he's one of the the greatest uh, Japanese sports legends and sports figures, you know, not just in MMA, but just in Japanese culture. Um, you know, the whole idea, MMA had been around. Like, Satoru Sayama kind of started MMA. Uh, he doesn't really get the credit for that, but he really started MMA in like, uh, like 89, 1990. And it got, you know, popularized with rings and popularized with pancreas in like the mid 90s. But it wasn't until Pride came around and K1 came around that, that style of fighting really blew up. And the whole idea of it was very similar to what Ricky Dozen was supposed to have been for pro wrestling. The idea that you bring in the best foreigners in the world and show Japan's fighting supremacy, their fighting spirit to defeat them. And they, they put Nobuhiko Takata up against Hicks and Gracie and Takata got destroyed Twice, because <laughs> he wasn't a he wasn't a real fighter, and he was fighting the, the greatest MMA fighter in history up to that point uh, in major you know huge sellout uh, you know matches, and it wasn't until Sakuraba came around that they finally had a champion who could defeat all comers. I mean, I, I can't I can't give you a list, but it's a who's who of guys that he beat. You know, um, God. Kevin Randleman, Rampage Jackson, uh, Mark Coleman. uh, Like you mentioned, all the Gracies. And that's kind of, that feud is the feud that kind of defined him. Like he, he beat Hoist Gracie. He beat Hoyler Gracie. He beat Enzo Gracie. Like, and he was off in them. And keep in mind, this was a family who like had gone undefeated and, you know, mixed fighting for like 50, 60 years. They kind of invented it in, in uh, Brazil. So, he was just a legend. And, not only was he a legend, but uh, Sakuraba had won uh, the the first and only like heavyweight uh, MMA or UFC tournament when UFC was still tournaments. They went to they had UFC Japan and he won the tournament and he tapped out uh, Silverio Conan or Conan Silverio, who was a Brazilian jiu jitsu heavyweight black belt. He was a world champion. And uh, Sakuraba tapped him out in the finals of the tournament. And Sakuraba actually lied to get in the tournament because he wasn't a heavyweight. You had to be over 200 pounds. He was like 160, 170 pounds. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like 210. <laughs> 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 and uh, Silverio that he tapped out was like 230, 240. He was ripped. And uh, when when this happened, Sakuraba was still wrestling in professional wrestling. He's a professional wrestler. He came up under Takata, came through the UWFI, wrestled in New Japan. Uh, He was wrestling for kingdoms at the time. And when he won the tournament, he stood up in front of everybody. It's like, I just wanted to prove that indeed pro wrestling is strong. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like his, his claim to fame. But by, by the time he wrestles um, Nakamura here, you know, we kind of talked touch base last week that Sakuraba had returned to the company in 2012 And was in a tag team with Shibata. So he was kind of a freelancer. And um, his body, he's old. His body's broken down. He's not used to wrestling the house style of, of New Japan. He's a shoot style wrestler. And he can't do a great many things that he used to do. So in essence, this to me is almost Japan's version of Hogan versus Rock. You've got the most charismatic one of the top-drawing stars, one of the biggest stars in the company in Rock slash Nakamura, and then you have the aging hero who the crowd is still behind, they still believe in, but can't do many of the things that they did before, but they'll get behind him in a showdown with this generational star that you never thought these two guys would ever face one another, especially not on a stage like Wrestle Kingdom and the Tokyo Dome. So, like, the... Even if the match doesn't deliver in certain respects, a lot of it is who it is, the anticipation of it, the stage that it's happening on. It It is their Hogan Rock.
1: Nice. So um, let's uh, bring in the match a little bit. So Sam, what were your thoughts about this matchup?
0: So my thoughts in this one, I think Josh put it pretty well there with... You know, Sakuraba is showing his age, but at the same time, he's still a legit MMA fighter. And so when particularly once they get it on the ground, he is as smooth and as silky as ever um, and and is makes this match look really, really good. I don't normally like um, sort of like hybrid MMA pro wrestling fights um, because most of the time I'm an MMA fan. If I want to watch MMA... I'll actually watch MMA. Most pro wrestling matches that try and look like MMA look really incredibly sloppy, but this didn't. And it's because they've got two guys who are literally who are in there, they know how to do this. They could do this for real if they wanted to, and they're like skirting the line of that. And the story for me in this match, the way that this match sort of broke down was that Nakamura had the edge when it was standing up and in kickboxing and with his strikes and particularly with his knee strikes. Um, But Sakuraba, as soon as it got to the ground, Sakuraba would take over um, with his triangles, with his arm bars and particularly with his Kimura. Um, And he got in mounted a number of times and sort of pounded Nakamura down um, from the mount position. Uh, Yeah, this is very hard hitting. Like this is... I'm this is strong. Like this is what strong style is. And this is where Nakamura is showing why he's the king of strong style.
2: Yeah. I, I'm in complete agreement. Uh, I think that a lot of what made this match just so wonderful. a it's not a long match, you know, so mm. they didn't try to go out there and have a 20, 30 minute epic. I think they go like 12 minutes.
1: Yeah. It's max. pretty short. Yeah.
2: Um. They also did their best to hide Sakuraba's deficiencies. They, you know, hid the negatives and, and accentuated the positives. So what he still could do, and even to this day, is still great at grappling, you know. When it comes to smooth transitions, locking and holds, he can still go with the best of them. When it comes to, you know, strikes and, you know... You know the, the the standing grappling stuff in the clinch, like that's not stuff he's gonna be able to do as much. and then even just traditional pro wrestling I'm I, he's not really at that level any longer. so they they didn't focus on that. They told a story where Nakamura is the better striker. I would assume probably, that's probably still the case. Like even in a real fight, I think that that would be probably the situation and then on the ground. He's nowhere near the level of Sakuraba, so Sakuraba kind of has this ace in his hand that he can kind of play up on on Nakamura. And what I love about Nakamura's performance here is that he's able to really lean into his ability to sell, to make uh, an aging performer with an aura look like a million bucks when he probably isn't. I mean, I think Sakuraba had three good matches in new japan over his tenure there for the his last run and this is the first really great one and people even though people were kind of anticipating it i think a lot there's a lot of people that also were doubting their ability to put on a great match and it it way over delivered this is probably the best match that they could have possibly had between these two and nakamura is just so great at selling the ground and pound selling his desperation to get out of uh, positions that Nakamura, that uh, Sakuraba gets him in uh, every single time. There's a near uh, submission hold. He's like fighting desperately uh, to get to the ropes, and this isn't really the type of Nakamura that you'd been seeing throughout this title run. You know, he'd been so dominant, and then you see this guy who's just kind of sunning him down there and being big brother, um, and he's fighting for his life. And then the one part of the match that's very infamous is when you think that. Nakamura has the upper hand They're back on their feet And he looks like he's going to go for a strike And then he tries to switch it up And go for a takedown and, and change up the game plan And Sakuraba throws the big knee strike And just catches him in the yes, jaw Yes, And lays him out and, <laughs> Freaking um, hot <laughs> and, he, and here's the thing uh, He had done that In in uh, specifically the matches That he had had previously With um, Takayama That was the first time he did this spot so it's not like he had never, ever done this spot in the past. I mean, he had. But um, people were saying that he was legit knocked out off that. Um, I don't know if if he was or not, to be honest with you. I rewatched it a few times to, to see. The report has always been that he was. But because I'm rewatching it and I can usually spot a shoot from a work, I don't know. I literally don't know. And I think that just tells you how good the guy is at, at selling. Like, I don't know if, if, if he got knocked loopy and was out for a second or if he was just selling.
0: I love in this match how at the start they sort of, in particular Nakamura, you can see like they try and respect one another a little bit and grapple and they're sort of playing around. And then once Sakuraba, they go to the ground and Sakuraba passes Naka's guard, um, mm-hmm. gets inside control, I think. They then get up, go into the corner and Nakamura gives him a slap, and then it's like, "Okay, buddy, it's on!" And they just start <laughs> slapping the shit out of each other, palm strikes, and they're dodging, and they're like, "It looks, it looks like they're teeing off on one another." And from that point onwards, you get that's when you get into this mode, and yeah, it peaks when you hit that when Sakuraba hits that bloody hard knee, um, and yeah, I, I I didn't think he was knocked out. Um, he hit him with his Like upper thigh in the replays. I mean, you could still knock someone out with that, um, but it wasn't like a flush knee strike. So I think they were still like working it, but it was still bloody hard. Like you could see that the impact was real. Well, Um, you know, Akamora's got blood in his mouth. (laughs) mouth. Yeah, it's it's such a such a visceral shot, like visceral um, shot when he gets up and he's like grinning with blood in his mouth. Um, Yeah, great great little moment there
1: yeah
2: and, and i think the last thing and i'll throw it to you jeremy the, the last thing one reason why i picked this match i think a because it's the first time we really see someone headline with this title at wrestle kingdom in a, in a big high profile this is like the real elevation of the belt but not only that from a stylistic standpoint i don't think there's any other match that we could have chosen that kind of highlights this style of wrestling that nakamura w- was capable of doing um you know i know that the shoot stuff is not for everyone but this is a, a pretty high level match and um it-, it showcases just a side of him that's very very different from anything else that we would have seen uh throughout his entire you know various title reigns and and it's and i think it's a little underappreciated under love like People remember the other big Wrestle Kingdom matches. They kind of forget about the Sakuraba one, which was had a big um, effect on the bottom line overall. Like this was a drawing match, and going forward, it would be uh, just another building block and stepping stone to what we call like the glory days or the golden age of New Japan. You know, here here in the modern era.
1: Right. This match was built as you know double double main event. You know, one of the double main events for the evening. So definitely, we're seeing that elevation of the IC title now. In a vacuum, out of the three matches we watched, this one—I will admit—this one was my least favorite. If you're just, if we're just talking about in-ring action, just the in-ring match. But when you take into um, the context of who Sakuraba was, kind of the background, the style of the match, um, that 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 elevates the match and makes this match more important. And you got to come in realizing like. You you're not good. this match is not like an, an epic Nakamura match. This is a twelve minute shoot style match. Josh summed it up perfectly of this Rock Hogan style matchup. I mean the crowd reactions to this match were great. Um like you guys mentioned Nakamura selling was incredible in this matchup and yeah, just making it look like he was dead off of that um impact knee there and in the, that moment you mentioned Sam Where um, the slap in the corner And then from there like all hell breaks loose And then yeah I absolutely love that part of the match And yeah it was a very um, You know heavy hitting MMA style matchups A lot of great transitions And like you mentioned Sam There are a lot of people who will try And do like this shoot style You know MMA pro wrestling match and It just doesn't work out as well Because Maybe they do have some background, but they're not clearly as skilled as guys like Sakuraba and Nakamura. And so you can tell it comes off way more uh, work-looking, more fake-looking than these two guys with great kind of shooting background and able to, like you mentioned, kind of flirt that line of like, all right, are they really shooting on each other or are they working? And so that was a great aspect of the match and a lot of heavy strikes, great suplexes um uh, working to the finish there um of Nakamura the, hitting with the uh, those two bombayes
2: those two bombayes are fucking killer <laughs> like yeah. like we see some really great bombayes in this uh series we're doing but those ones he fucking laid them in hard and they were like desperation bombayes too because of how precarious the situation was for him so he was like at a point where he was like I got to get rid of this guy I got to get him out of here And he he hits him real quick with him and then pins him. And Sakuraba, actually, the the one dick thing he did in this match was, like, he kind of kicked out at (laughs) 3.1. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But... Like, like he's an old school Carney. Like, as great of a sportsman as he is, he's still gonna like kind of keep his heat and he tries to kick out at three point one, a la Hogan Warrior. And uh, it's like, ah, oh, you, you you barely got me with those two fucking knees to the skull. <laughs> uh,
1: if I had one more second, I would have gotten out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so overall, what are you Did you guys uh, rate this match?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a divisive match. You know, Dave Meltzer at the time gave it four and a half. He loved it. You go online, you look at Cage Match. They're like eight point five nine. Uh, I don't. Uh, so that's basically four and a quarter, essentially. I would go a smooth four. I, I could see someone going lower depending on your tastes because this isn't a style for everybody. Um, and I could see some people that love it going higher. I think it's going to be one of those matches that is not you have it doesn't have a universally approved like rating. It kind of depends on your perception. I would go four on the match and I really like the match a lot. I could even go four and a quarter as high as
0: that. I find it. I find this one hard to, hard to rate. I, to, to give you guys a little bit of insight. I generally don't like to give quarter stars just because I, in my own mind, I can't really keep up with what like a quarter star actually means for myself. So just when I do things, I'm looking at halves And I couldn't really justify doing this four and a half. But then when I think within like the, you know, I said like as far as MMA pro wrestling matches go, this is probably the best one I've ever seen. And so, I mean, that would have to be five star if I was just going to give it on based on the genre. Apart from that, I'd have to just give, I'd agree with Josh. I gave it a clean four.
2: Uh, I give uh, matches an extra quarter star when someone bleeds, and if they both bleed, that's a half star <laughs> automatically.
1: Uh, so yeah, I, I was a little bit—I was a low man here. I went three and a half here, which for a twelve-minute match, I think three and a half is a, a pretty decent rating um, time-wise. So I don't know, but yeah, again, like Josh was saying, this match—it all depends on your taste And I've seen yeah ratings all over the board for this match. But definitely it's definitely worth a watch though.
0: 100%. It's not a short it's not a long one either which is good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so then from there, uh Nakamura goes on to um he takes part in the Fantastic Mania 2013 tour which you guys know, you know, it's the New Japan CMLL co-promoted shows that they do um after Wrestle Kingdom. And so in the main event of the second night, Nakamura made his fifth uh, successful defense against La Sombra better known to Western fans now as Andrade. Then moving on from there, and that that match kind of kickstarts, we're going to see here these guys kind of have a rivalry kind of going forward here, and that kind of kickstarts the rivalry there during that Fantastica Mania tour. Then from there in early 2013, uh, Nakamura gets involved in the chaos rivalry against Suzuki-gun. So mm. on March 3rd at the 41st anniversary <coughs> event, Nakamura defeats Lance Archer in the 6th uh, title defense. Then moving on to April 5th, uh, Nakamura and Ishii, they unsuccessfully challenge Killer Elite Squad, Archer and Dave Boy Smith for the championships, keeping this rivalry going. And then at Invasion Attack, Nakamura defends against Dave Boy Smith Jr., um, and which also he avenged a loss in the New Japan Cup.
2: Think think about how badass Nakamura is. Like in his uh, later career with Chaos, his pin eater was Ishii. <laughs> 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 of all the guys he he could have picked, like that's like Ishii is his Yoshihashi. Like that just tells you about Nakamura. <laughs> uh,
0: um,
2: but I'll just I, jump in on I, sorry, you guys. I was going to say, well, I was going to introduce you. I was going to say, I watched this IWGP match with uh, David Boyce Jr., but I know, sir, Sam, you had some thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, I (laughs) nearly picked this. I I was, you know, going through these matches. Um, I really enjoyed this match, and it's, I think, you know, it's not as good as some of the other ones that, that are on here and that we've picked, but just purely for the selling of how, like this is a tour de force for Nakamura this match against Lance Archer and Davy boy you know these guys aren't these guys are really good um you know they're really high level but they're not the greatest pro wrestlers in the world they're not the absolute elite pro wrestlers in the world but Nakamura makes both of these guys look like absolute beasts and it's Largely because of his selling, his combination of selling, and because he looks so legit with his strikes, and his strikes look so crisp, and these guys can shrug them off. They look fantastic. And I, the reason I like these matches a lot was just because they really just showed Nakamura's skill um, against at and, and making these big guys look amazing and look like complete monsters because they can take this guy's offense that looks devastating uh and make this guy who can you know who's so tough scream in agony and and have to fight for his life to get the win
2: yeah i think the um i, I watched this match too um i won't go in depth with it or anything of that nature but i thought it was very good i think it's one of the underrated mm. david boy smith shinsuke nakamura matches well, a lot, i feel like a lot of people don't know about it honestly but uh the interesting there, thing there, and they did a good job with this, when they were building up title defenses, oftentimes these guys would get either tag team or tournament victories over Nakamura to establish their ability to beat him. And that's what they did with David Boy Smith it, uh, during the New Japan Cup. He had beaten him in one of the rounds, knocked Nakamura out, setting up a de facto title defense, and, you know, um, kind of creates that that... Logical doubt there that maybe Dave Boy Smith's in line for a uh, you know a title push. Plus, him and Archer were the ta- IWGP Tag Team Champions at the time and were pretty dominant. So, uh, kind of did favors for both guys on both ends. Um, and yeah, I thought I thought Nakamura. You know, you look at some of the names that are on the list here, and he's clearly wrestling a lot of not top stars in the company, but like upper mid card guys that he's doing a great job elevating. Guys like Goto. Carl Anderson, Davey Boy Smith, that sort of thing. So yeah,
0: yeah. When uh, you have a really for for a really good run, you have to have those sorts of matches where you know you're not against someone who is on necessarily the same level. And all of the really great runs have these sorts of matches in it where you know you probably didn't think Nakamura was actually going to wi- actually going to lose, but for a moment there, you thought maybe. And, you know, there's still really great matches, and Nakamura makes these guys look great. And
1: I'll say, you know, dayboy Boy Smith Jr., he's obviously not the best wrestler in the world, but I do think at times he can be very underrated. And mm. I, I think when you put him in there with the right guy, like Nakamura, who can sell for him and make him look like an absolute monster, his matches come off a lot better. And so, yeah, I definitely think, you know, there possibly could have been a drop ball there for more of a, a singles uh Dave Boy Smith Jr. run, uh facing off maybe some smaller, better seller guys. But yeah, this was a great matchup here.
2: He he's also someone that can uh fit in like a glove with some of the shoot stylings that uh Nakamura, especially in the the early goings if you notice a lot of times Nakamura in his matches, he doesn't really lock up with guys. He he's tending more to go to a ground based grappling offense. And uh, a lot of people know this. Davey Boy Smith is like a, a Naga Nogi champion. Current day, uh, he's he's been training with Josh Barnett and catch wrestling for years. So he's one of the few guys that, at the time, could really stand toe to toe with this guy in that sort of, you know, wrestling style. And it and it showed in the match. It was really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Davey Boy had a great uh, great match at Bloodsport with Killer Cross. Oh, Carrying- I love that yeah, Carry Cross. Really good match.
2: Yeah, I was I was there. It was really oh, awesome. Eight. <laughs> that was one makes me jealous. Honestly, like, and people would think this is hyperbole. I thought that match, or I thought that show overall was better, just slightly. I thought it was better than the Takeover show in New York that year. That's how good the show was. It was incredible. I I'd, I'd agree with that, honestly. Uh, yeah, it, and that's uh, people <laughs> who didn't see it will think that's ridiculous sounding, but when you watch it top to bottom, it's it's one of the best shows I've ever been to, maybe yeah. the best
1: yeah i've seen some, I haven't seen the full show, but I saw some of the matches, but yeah it, it I don't know you were there live uh, I forgot where we were during that during that blood sports show, but yeah, that takeover experience was awesome too but yeah, a great great WrestleMania weekend. I think you guys went to oh yeah we went, we met up stardom? with stardom uh, no, I think wasn't that where we met up with uh, Tamatonga uh, yeah,
2: yeah you guys were, you guys were hanging out with bad <laughs> boy getting drinks, and I was on a train to Jersey <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, uh, after the Dayboy Smith match, the, the rivalry with Suzuki, Suzuki Gun continues with their newest member, Shelton X. Benjamin. <laughs> Ain't no stopping I think him someone now.
2: Forgot to t- someone forgot to tell this man that the X is supposed to replace the name. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: billed as uh, Invader X, uh, and then putting the X in the middle there, Shelton X. Benjamin. So, uh, Nakamura would fall to Benjamin here. And uh, you know Sheldon Benjamin was was one of my favorite guys in WWE during the mid two thousands. Also, there's that Shawn Michaels match from the Gold Rush tournament with the you know the infamous GIF of him getting uh, springboard super kicked. And you know there was a lot of promise in Benjamin, but as we see him kind of transition here to New Japan, he's one of the WWE guys that just really didn't adapt well to New Japan style. Would you guys agree? Somewhat,
2: I think that he wasn't given. He was given some opportunities, but not a ton. You know, he was he was a suzuki Goon guy, so he wrestled a lot of um, multi-man matches. And then I don't think he always capitalized on the opportunities given to him when he wrestled those singles matches. Um, I do think that the Nakamura matches, because there's a, a couple of them, they're some of his better work in New Japan as a singles, but they're not blow-away. They're probably like three and a half, three and a quarter, uh, I don't think they're high end for Nakamura style defenses, to be honest, for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, for me, Shelton Benjamin is just the prime example of how in pro wrestling you need to be more than just like really athletic because he's obviously like a super athletic guy. Um, you know, and could do just about anything in the ring or as much as anyone else could. Um, but you know, I don't think anyone ever really cared that much about him as a, as a wrestler or a character. And he just, I did. <laughs> oh, okay. I, corrected.
1: <laughs> I, I was invested in that triple H storyline.
2: I was invested in the Triple H when, when the Triple H and the Shawn Michaels stuff was going on. That Triple H storyline, I was invested.
1: He beat um, Triple H like four weeks in a row on Raw. <laughs>
2: and, and, when he, and when he was doing his first like intercontinental run, I was invested. It subsided because they didn't know what to do with him after a while. But in the beginning, oh yeah, I think I, think, I remember a lot of people being invested early on.
0: Okay, I stand. I stand corrected. But <laughs> <laughs> no one cared about him. But I still think, uh, <laughs> I still, I still think he he just never showed any sort of character that would give him something more to build on. Other than you know, this guy is an athletics freak um, who can do lots of cool stuff.
2: Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. They 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 did the segment where he looked at the camera real weird and like kind of rolled his <laughs> eyes around a lot.
0: Yeah, and then he was like was gold standard, right? That was <laughs> yeah. I liked
2: when they introduced his mom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, man, Shelton definitely could have benefited from a manager, and it was, unfortunately, you know, Vince is in this you know I hate manager phase. But if you could have stick somebody like a manager with him who could really talk, I think that would have helped him a lot. In his run in, in WWE,
0: i stick him well, the, with like the, a really charismatic tag team partner like uh, Chad Gable, or I'll Brock look. Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll stick him with um, Brock Lesnar, and he just beats everyone. <laughs> now, since
2: we're, since we're on the uh, subject here, this is the eighth and final successful defense for Nakamura in his first title reign. And not only that, it is a record-setting title defense because after this, no champion in the history of this title's, uh, you know, history ever comes close to defending this many times successfully. Uh, And in New Japan, I mean, eight title defenses of any title is insane, you know that's an uh, extremely large number of tile defenses for anybody, and I think it's one of those records that's going to uh, probably stand up until they really, really, really decide to go with someone again. Because three hundred thirteen days, eight tile defenses—that's a big deal. It's a it's a huge legacy that he kind of carved out right from the get go when it comes to him holding this title.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, you, you talk about elevation but tile. This is how you do it. You pu- you put it on a star. And you have you him have run with it Have him have great matches, great defenses And have a long, um, credible title reign um, So after the Shelton-X-Benjamin match He goes back to Mexico, CMLL And does a little tour there uh, His first matchup, he's, he's teaming with El Felino and Negro Casas In a six-man, two-out-of-three False match where um, they lose to Mascara Dorada, Roosh, and Teton And then he kind of jumps back into the rivalry here With La Sombra and uh, suffers two pinball defeats in six-man tag matches on April 17th and April 24th. What sets up uh, IWGP title match, um, a rematch from Fantastic Mania. The match took place on May 31st and uh, saw Nakamura once again losing to Los Sombra, and he loses the Intercontinental Championship, ending his 313-day uh, title reign, eight successful title defenses. Um, so any thoughts on kind of the end of this reign here? And it's this, this first title reign before we move on.
2: I, I guess what I'll say is I watched this match and, um, uh, it's actually kind of cool that the match he had with La at fantastic mania that year, and then also the CMLL match are the two times that Nakamura used body paint a la Finn Balor. So sometimes people will see the pictures of him with really cool, interesting, like carnage inspired body paint. And people are always wondering where that kind of comes from. But it's those two matches. Uh, and I don't know if we mentioned this. I feel like if you're listening, you probably know. But there might be some people listening and be like, who's La Sombra? We're talking about Andrade Cien Almas from WWE fame. Uh, who was a huge, huge star under the mask in Mexico as La Sombra. And um, I did watch this match. I thought it was good. Not great. Uh, but the crowd I mean, I want to go to Arena Mexico because the crowds are just so hot there. And um, Nakamura basically makes a, a, a small mistake in a match that he had the upper hand in and was probably on his way to winning in the third fall. Makes a mistake, gets caught, La Samba rolls. He, he has a, a move. I think it might have been his finish at the time. not totally sure. But he rolls him up, lifts him up off of the roll-up, and then comes back and slams him and, and finishes the roll-up for the pinning combination. And he beats Nakamura. The crowd goes crazy. And I think the deal is, in in Mexico... Well, not think, I know. In Mexico, title championships are not as important. But because of the prestige of the titles in Japan, anytime time a, 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 a Japanese or even an American title is won or lost in Mexico, it's a bigger deal there's higher stakes involved and to see their national hero in la one of their big top rising stars defeat the legendary nakamura in arena mexico in a two out of three falls match clean that was a big deal for them over there at the time and also nakamura wrestled as a heel the whole match which was also which also added to the emotion of the match
1: yeah just i love when i love how versatile nakamura can be and like you mentioned you know obviously you would think most guys are like, well, I'm, I'm a on face. So I'm I'm going to keep wrestling as a face no matter where I go. But knowing like, all right, we're in Mexico. We're in, you know, La Sombra's home court. I'm going to heal it up and get some heat here and really get the crowd invested in this matchup.
0: Yeah. And that's straight after wrestling these matches with Archer and Davey boy where he's like a really clear face in peril against giants. Um, and and this whole first reign is just a it just shows how versatile this guy is. You know, he has that match against Sakuraba, which is, you know, an MMA hybrid kind of hybrid shoot fight almost. He's got these matches against these big guys, he's got like more work rate matches like against Carl Anderson and then a Lucha two out of three falls match against Andrade and you know, pulls all of them off with style. Yeah. Sam, did you have any uh, final thoughts on uh,
1: his first title reign as a whole?
0: Just that, that, you know, it just shows how how much of a star this guy is, that he was able to take this belt that, you know, not many people cared about uh, and make it into something really special with a reign that shows off his own, his own strength um, as well as makes other people look great, you know, makes Sakuraba, a legend, look like, he can still go just as well as he could in the past, making Archer and Davy boy look like monsters. Um, And, you know, capping it off with a really cool two out of three falls match in Mexico um, against their national champ. Like, you know, this guy who's a national hero.
2: I I think for me, one thing I, I like about this is that, you know, they don't have plans to make Nakamura the IWGP champion any longer but they have a whole picture, you know, tied up over there at that current time with guys like you know, Tanahashi, Okada, shortly AJ Styles, things of that nature. So, they kind of have him off to the side, and I'm sure there are people who will criticize that decision even still today. But he's kind of carved out this niche, this other division for himself. Where he can kind of define that division. It reminds me of like when RVD was the TV champion, or like when uh John Cena was the US champion, you know, and it, it it's clearly a case of the man making the title, not the other way around. It's not the title making the man. I think the two things we're kind of missing from this title reign. The title reign, you can't criticize it. It's it's great booking, it's great wrestling, it's top quality, and it's legendary. What we haven't really seen him do is a couple things. One High-profile matches with other high-profile top guys in New Japan. We haven't really seen that yet. We also haven't seen bitter interpersonal rivalries. We're seeing, you know, um, factional rivalries, you know, uh, sportsman-based rivalries. But we're not seeing, like, the blood feuds or true hatred-based stuff just yet. So those are the two things kind of missing. But other than that, you have all the recipes of of a legendary run.
1: Yeah, just a, a great run here. Great first title reign. So now let's move on to the start of the second reign. So on July 20th of that year, Kazuno Road, Nakamura would face off once again with La Sombra for the IC title. And this is the match that I selected uh, for us to watch, mainly because I, I always I knew Andrade was La Sombra. I heard heard about La Sombra during that time, and I heard he was having good matches, but I, I honestly had never really watched any pretty WWE Andrade and so I love his NXT work and you know his matches with Rey Mysterio on the main roster And he's, he's an excellent performer But um, I, I wanted to see You know what he was like before And that was the, the main reason why I picked This match up here and uh, It was just great seeing Him kind of without the, the WWE restraints on On his moveset on his character to see What this guy can fully do here Sam, what were your thoughts on this matchup?
0: I really enjoyed this match. I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. I'd never really watched any La Sombra matches um, from, you know, Andrade matches before his time when he was La Sombra. And I've only heard good things about it. I've got a, I think in my YouTube playlist, I've got his, um, his final match where he was demasked um unmasked and I that's been in my YouTube play what to watch playlist for you know 6 months or something oh, <laughs> I just have you, you, you've never watched it I haven't no
2: Yeah I was I was just telling Jeremy about it yesterday literally and I was like singing the praises of how incredible I think that match is with Atlantis so yeah you need to you, you both need to watch that
1: <laughs> So yeah so uh yeah what were your thoughts about this matchup Sam
0: It was just so incredibly smooth um you know both guys are just so talented and such good in-ring workers uh and you know even though they're coming from very different places where nakamura obviously has that strong style shoot fighting background and la sombra is a lucha libre uh, wrestler they just blended so well because they're both just so proficient and so technical um, and i love how The sort of the story of Shinsuke sort of having answers, being able to answer the technical and high flying stuff that LaSombra was doing with strikes, but then LaSombra being able to counter those strikes into to sort of bring it back to what he wanted, how he wanted to take the match. And, you know, even both fighters ended up having to go into the other person's world where Nakamura did a suicide dive. I don't think I'd ever seen him do a suicide dive before this. And, you know, La Sombra at the end is having some really heavy chop and slap exchanges with Nakamura, um, you know, right up until the end. Both, there's just so much back and forth in this um, and, and such an interesting clash of styles.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think... Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's there's always a uh, risk when you have two different style wrestlers with uh, such divergent styles for there to be clunkiness or awkwardness, things of that nature. Um, clearly, La Sombra was one of those guys during this uh, phase of the uh, partnership with CMLL and New Japan that they had a lot of faith in. They put their title on him, which is very rare for them to put their uh, title on a Latin fighter. Uh, you know, They did it with, I think, Mascara Dorada, and uh mystico and you know later dragon lee but that was about it and so for them to put a, a major title on la sombra like this it's a pretty big deal but um these two guys definitely kind of overcame the awkwardness and put on a great performance you see you know a heavyweight like la sombra able to wrestle the high flying aerial style so smoothly but like you mentioned um sam just those strikes, those slaps that he hit were sounding off. I mean, you could see the sweat just (laughs) flying off the chest of of, uh, Nakamura. And then at the same time, Nakamura hit that, uh, you know, suicide uh, torneo to the outside, which is kind of uh, a trick he has for Mexico, but he doesn't pull it out of his hat too often. Um, I didn't think that this match kicked into the highest of high gears, but it also didn't disappoint Whatsoever, it wasn't super long. I think it was probably like 15, 16 sixteen-ish minutes, if I remember correctly. Um, and there was big moments: Lasombra coming off of the uh, the uh, set that was around Ring and doing a, um, you know, a, a giant like Kota Ibushi moonsaw moonsault off of it. There's just a lot. He land. A, he really lands cool on his
1: feet. He doesn't just yeah. do the moonsault. He lands on his feet like it was nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, he's just. Andrade was a a different kind of performer, and he still is. But, I mean, when he wrestled
1: that true Lucha
2: Libre style, I mean, he's one of the the all-time greatest. And uh, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was really, really well done. The one moment that I did think was kind of lost was he he goes for the same move that he won the belt with, which is the roll-up, the lift-up, and then the back drop into the pinning combination. And he tries it again, and this time Nakamura kicks out. And LaSombra starts selling so hard. Like, I can't believe that didn't win the match for me. But I don't think the audience maybe was aware or as familiar with the fact that that's how he beat him. So they try to do a big callback spot, and it's a little lost on the uh, the crowd. It's it's hard for, you know, you don't get the reaction that you would expect if it had Now, if, it, if that had been done in Mexico, I think it'd be different. Um, but overall, I love the match. I mean, Jeremy, like, you know, like you mentioned, you hadn't seen a lot of La Sombra. I know you enjoyed this match a lot. Like, what were your overall, you know, thoughts and kind of breakdown?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I, I just love the fact that Nakamura was able to kind of adapt and wrestle that Lucha Libre style. I know he had done a couple of tours of CMLL, but like Sam was saying, you really don't see him pull his stuff out often in his matches. And to see Nakamura do a, like a corkscrew plancha was kind of crazy and kind of keeping up with... Andrade and wrestling with Lucha Libre, Lucha Libre style I really loved that And then like I was mentioning earlier like just seeing Kind of like LaSambra just kind of Without the restraints I, I marked out how he, he did like a uh, like a Springboard spit, spinning Split like a moonsault at one point In this match for a near fall which I had never seen Him do in WWE which was awesome And then the moonsault you mentioned Josh off that Structure that was a part of the set On ringside was just awesome And landing on his feet there was a suicide Dive that Sombra hit um in the middle of oh,
0: Yeah so good
1: Literally he shot out of the ring like a Freaking missile and just Crashed into Nakamura and they crashed into The guardrails was just awesome And, and everything Lesombre Did was just intense the chops The elbows his, his strikes all, Were all very stiff And like you, meant, you guys mentioned you just see the sweat Flying off and Nakamura did a great Job of selling those as well
2: I think that's what Lesombre did A little different um is that not only did uh, Nakamura adapt, but he adapted to a more strike-based, heavy, kind of realistic offense because he was in Japan, which was also really good to see.
0: One thing I just wanted to call out was at the end, Shinsuke goes for a springboard, I think it's springboard Bomae, and he sort of slips a little bit. I oh, actually yeah. really like that sort of stuff to me that just makes it seem more gritty and real when that sort of stuff happens. And, you know, they don't, they don't let it derail them. They immediately just go into the next bit and, you know, with Shinsuke Nakamura, with Shinsuke kind of going back up and getting, going to the second rope and hitting, hitting it again properly. But I just, I I don't know, for me, I really love it when moves don't quite hit the way they're meant to, but they still play it off because it just, it seems it adds to the realism for me.
1: Yeah, sometimes, I agree. sometimes, yeah, botches can enhance matches, yes. so obviously if you're in a real fight, like, your movements are all, aren't always going to be crisp, you, you're going to be stumbling, you're trying to just hit your opponent half the time, especially if you're, like, a novice, like, you're just swinging or doing whatever, like, everything you do is not going to be perfect and precise, so yeah, the fact that he slipped on this move and was able to kind of recover with, like, a phenomenal forearm kind of looking thing, and then kind of move on from there was kind of realistic
2: yeah, and, and I think we'll probably move on here in a second. But one thing I wanted to do is just I want to applaud you guys on uh, your picks here. I think, Jeremy, you did a really fantastic job uh, picking this match. And what I mean by that is every week on the show, it seems that the, the various hosts, we've all kind of done a great job miraculously because we're not all discussing what we are going to pick necessarily. We all end up picking things that are very I- interesting in terms of style to the wrestler and I think that this match stands alone as being a very unique perspective on Nakamura's intercontinental title reign. Uh, same thing with mine. Like, you know, you, you have MMA shooter match, and then here you get this, you know, lucha libre influenced, uh, kind of hard hitting, you know, defense or, you know, title title challenge from uh Nakamura. It's uh it's just very different. I think once we get to Sir Sam's, you guys are gonna see an even different Different perspective on, on Nakamura. So, you know, it's it's kinda cool to just have so much diversity when it comes to the type of matches we're picking for him.
1: Yeah, you know, I had to sprinkle in a little uh Rich Ladder Pro Wrestling in here. So <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, so Nakamura ends up hitting the uh the Bomaye from the middle rope and then a running Bomaye to get the win here and regain the IC title and start his second reign. Um I went four and a quarter on this.
2: I would have gone a smooth four on it to be honest with you. I thought it was really good.
0: As you know, I don't believe in quarters, so I also went with a four smooth four, even no. four. <laughs> couldn't couldn't I, get it up to four and a half, but definitely a four. This is an excellent I, match. I also like to point out that this is
2: the first time in history that anybody has ever been a multi time holder of this championship. So, you know, set the record with defenses. Becomes the first man to regain the title. He's just making history all over the place.
1: Yeah. So after this defense um, goes on to Destruction Tour, September 29th, he defeats Shelton X. Benjamin again to make his first defense of this reign. Then One,
2: one thing with that, too, and I, I think we need to touch base on it, is that's coming off of the G1 where he had a, a very good G1 but lost to Shelton Benjamin on the final day which was what prevented him from going forward. And one thing, even though they don't get counted as part of a title reign, whoever the summertime champion is for any of the titles, especially like one of the secondary belts, those really do come to define the belt itself because even though they're not official title defenses, they typically result, any losses that champion has could hypothetically result in future title challenges, they also kind of show you where in the pecking order that champion is perceived. And when you have it on a top guy like Nakamura going through a G1, defeating top stars, even though they're not title matches, they tend to like really elevate the perception of that belt and the champion itself. And that's kind of what produced that first title challenge uh, with Shelton as well.
1: Yeah, excellent point there. Uh, so he defeats Shelton again, and then he makes his next defense on October 14th at King of Pro Wrestling, where he takes on uh, uh I
2: watched this match. I loved it.
1: I did not get a chance to watch this one, but I've only heard great things about it. And I know uh, our listener, Highest Fly Flow, definitely said we should watch this one. So I, it's definitely on my cue to watch.
0: I watched it as well, and yeah, I also... I'd never seen this match before, really enjoyed it. A game of high stakes um, when these guys trade strikes or holds. So I'd definitely recommend it. If you've got the time to watch it, give it a watch. It's a really fun match.
1: So he defeats Fuji and then goes on to power struggle November 9th for his third defense, and he's going against Minoru Suzuki here. So in the past, we've seen him you know, have this rivalry with Suzuki. gun He was facing Archer and Benjamin and Dave Boy Smith Jr., and now he's clashing with Suzuki here, and this match had a stipulation where uh, if Nakamura would have lost, he would have had to join Suzuki Gun, as well as losing the title. So, so they're
2: going the the old Cena joins Nexus route. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: yeah. So yeah, so he defeats Suzuki, does not have to join Suzuki Gun, keeps the title, and then uh, after this match, he calls out Tanahashi to be his next challenger. What sets up the first title match between these two longtime rivals in over two years? And we go to Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th, 2014. And Nakamura loses the IWGP Intercontinental Championship to Tanahashi um, in the main event, Wrestle Kingdom 8 here. And also, we know that this is the Wrestle Kingdom where we had the fan boat, which is why this match was in the main event. Uh, it was Naito versus Okada for the IWGB heavyweight title and then Tanahashi and uh, Nakamura here. And it, it was put up to a fan vote and the fans voted for Tanahashi and Nakamura to be in the main event here.
2: Yeah. I mean, Tanahashi, the long, uh, you know, the the longest and most bitterest of rivals for uh, Nakamura's time in New Japan pro wrestling it, it is the feud that kind of defined that era of, generation of stars especially with shibata leaving the company um they'd clashed this was the third time that they had clashed in the main event of the tokyo dome for a major title and, and um you know the the very fact that when we started this uh run we're talking about a title that was fought for in a, a jersey pro
0: it's <laughs> <laughs> basically tournament. a shed it's basically a shed that they're fighting. In. <laughs> it's yeah. not a, not a glorious place.
2: <laughs> and then in a little over what, two, three years, it's headlining the Tokyo dome with the two biggest stars in new Japan pro wrestling. Cause let's not lose sight of the fact that although Kata's the IWGP champion at this time. And although Naito's on his rise and everything, Tanahashi is still the actual ace of the company. And, um, the fact that Nakamura is defending the, the belt against him, it speaks to two things. It's like Nakamura has elevated himself through the course of holding this belt to again, being seen as a peer to Tanahashi, who is the ace of the company. So generational rivals, this is kind of that thing that we talked about the first uh, reign kind of lacked in that now we've got a longtime generational rival. We've got a main stage again. We've got a, uh, a big-time star. I mean, Nakamura already was the big star, but now he's going up against one of the tip-top guys in the company on on the biggest stage, and it doesn't get bigger than Wrestle Kingdom.
1: Right. And uh, so this, so he loses the belt here, and that ends his second reign. Uh, Any quick thoughts on on the second reign there?
0: It's obviously not as long and quite as, yeah, it's, it's just not as long as the first, so it doesn't have a chance to be on that same level, and You know, the matches with Shelton Benjamin, I always feel like it's almost like that old, that uh, Mean Girls gif of stop trying to make Fetch happen. (laughs) Stop trying to make Shelton Benjamin happen. Um, And uh, and for whatever reason, Suzuki and Nakamura, even though you'd think the two styles would work together, in that match, it just doesn't seem to work out. Um, So... Obviously, this match against Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdoms a an amazing end to the second reign, but it's it certainly doesn't reach the same heights as the the first reign.
2: I I would actually argue that this might actually have reached higher heights in the sense that you see him wrestle three bigger stars than any of of the the com, uh, yeah. competitors that he wrestled in the first reign. Although it's not as long and it, although it's not as uh, you know, like you know, it doesn't have as many defenses. Obviously, you you see him regaining the title from LaSambra, who's a tip-top star from Mexico. You see him wrestling now, Michi Marafuji, who you know there was a time where he was a top star in the biggest Japanese wrestling company in the world, and he's you know still to this day uh, revered as like one of the. Top pro elite legends that are out there. One of the greatest performers of his generation, and uh, it was a big deal at the time. It was a dream match for for Nakamura and uh, Marufuji to wrestle. We kind of glossed over it, but it absolutely was a big deal. And then Suzuki, again pro legend, that was a big deal, and that was the culmination of a long-standing feud that Chaos and uh, Suzuki Goon had been going through. Like that's the culmination of their bitter feud. So. I think there are actually higher heights here than the first reign. Where I think the uh, the first reign might exceed it is in quality of matches. There might be some better quality matches than these ones, but these actually probably mean more.
1: Right. It's, yeah, totally. That's perfect. Yeah, quality matches in that first run, but here is where you see the title ascend even more, where he's wrestling guys like Marafuji and Suzuki and Tanahashi. It's the main event of the Tokyo Dome here. So And and that kind of continues the rivalry with Tanahashi, so moving on in the quest to the third reign, um, there was a rematch between him and Tanahashi February 9th at the new beginning in Hiroshima, where he failed to regain the title, and then the next month in March, he would go in the 2014 New Japan Cup, where he would defeat Bad Luck Fale in the finals on March 23rd, and... You know, most of the times we see when people win a new Japan Cup, they're they're going after the IWGP title. Cause at that point it was you could choose any title you wanted. But Nakamura here, he did not choose to go after the IWGP title. He wanted to beat Tanahashi and get the IWGP IC title back. So he uses his new Japan Cup win to challenge Tanahashi, which sets up the match that Sir Sam picked April 6th invasion attack 2014 where Nakamura faces off against Tanahashi for the third time for the uh, IWGP IC title.
2: Also keep in mind, uh, Okada, his stablemate, is the IWGP champion. And I think that probably, I don't think that's the main motivation for why he didn't pick it, but it's part of it, if that kind of makes sense as well.
1: Right, because at this time we really didn't see many stablemates Going after each other, unless it was in the G one that happened to be in the same block, it was very rare to see stablemates challenging each other for titles.
2: Yeah, and that and that relationship between Okada and Tanahashi, I think it's the closest modern uh, equivalent I could pr- probably come up with in New Japan today is maybe Zack Saber Junior. and Minoru Suzuki. You know, Minoru Suzuki is clearly the leader of of the group, but the top competitor and the ace of, of that group is Zack Sabre Jr. And I think that's kind of the same sort of uh, dynamic that you see between Okada and Nakamura. Nakamura is the Suzuki. He is the mentor. He's the leader of the group. But the younger, more athletically gifted star athlete that they're kind of centering things around is you
1: know Okada. Right. So uh, Sam, why did you end up picking this matchup?
0: The reason I picked this, I mean, Josh did a, a really good job kind of talking about Nakamura and Tanahashi and their rivalry and their storied rivalry earlier. Uh, and this is, I mean, there's they have matches after this, but this feels like a, a really big point in that rivalry um, because while Shinsuke sort of started out as the sort of the wonder kid of New Japan, he... Undoubtedly got overtaken by Tanahashi. uh, And his, I don't know the exact um, list of their wins and losses, but at this point has been overtaken. And clearly over the last, over the previous two matches, got beaten by Tanahashi and sort of comes into this match with really a lot to prove. And Tanahashi, the way that he wrestles this match is so unashamedly aggressive. It's a really really interesting match to see Tanahashi do because Tanahashi's almost wrestling full heel. And by the end of it, he's got the crowd booing him um, yep. and the crowd is <laughs> so heavily on Nakamura's <laughs> side uh, in this. I don't know. I, I almost want to rewatch this to count the amount of moves that Nakamura does because I feel <laughs> like it would be less than 20 because uh, he is so nakamura sorry, Tanahashi rips the crap out of Nakamura's leg. Like every single chance he gets, he hits the knee, hits the knee, hits the knee, hits the knee and tears Nakamura's knee apart. And you know what? And it's the perfect foil for Nakamura because to do anything, Nakamura uses his legs. His finisher is a knee to the face. And what's Tanahashi doing? Ripping that knee to shreds. Uh, And doing it in such an aggressive fashion that the eventual win that Nakamura has is just so triumphant because of that. Uh, And this this match feels so personal because of everything that's built up between these two and like such a triumph for Nakamura because it's like he has finally managed to overcome this guy who has been beating him for so long. And not only has he done it, he's done it against this guy who's trying to absolutely tear the crap out of his, like, really, really hurt him.
1: Yeah, I really love this matchup here. And and I was talking with Josh about this, and we mentioned it too last week with Chibata. I I love when people force Tanahashi out of that kind of babyface, you know, clean wrestler. I love when Tanahashi gets pushed and he, he becomes a dick and he, he becomes more aggressive. And I think that's a, it's a different Tanahashi. And his matches go to a, a different level when he gets forced from that. We, we talked about that earlier with the Abushi the G1 match. He got pushed to that level. And so I love here that he, he ups the intensity, he ups the aggression. And, you know, he's being very cocky. And he wants to fully, you know, prove that he is the best out of the new three Musketeers. And he wants to um, put Nakamura away for a third time in a row.
0: Yeah, and everything is on the like he does a good vibrations on Nakamura's knee. He does two high fly flows onto Nakamura's knee. It it's just so aggressive and arrogant from Tanahashi.
2: Yeah, the um the moment where you can tell that he's wrestling this uh I mean, I'm going to call it like it is, the heel style
0: <laughs> is oh,
2: 100% when when uh Nakamura's on the ropes. And he goes for a kick and Tanahashi catches the kick and they're standing there and he's holding the leg. And you think like he's going to put his, you know, Nakamura's foot down and he just keeps pausing and pausing and pausing. And then he looks at him and then he just jabs <laughs> an elbow into his knee. And the crowd did not like that. They're like, and they're like oh, and I and like the crowd is. Oh, no. Go What's What's with the crowd? The
0: crowd is so into this.
2: Yeah, yeah. I like to call this DDT Tanahashi, because uh, I remember <laughs> I remember when he went to go work in DDT, and he wrestled as a heel, and, like, he's just such a dick, and I freaking love it. <laughs> and um, this match is so unique, man. And, and uh, again, like, I, I keep saying that word and bringing up the diversity of these matches, because, you know, you have the Wrestle Kingdom match, and that's, like, your classic Tanahashi... Uh, Nakamura style of match, you know, main event, Tokyo Dome, epic, you know, your typical style match. And then um, this same, um, it wasn't quite as aggressive or anything of that nature, but this same um, strategy that he's using at an invasion attack is what he used to gain the upper hand at new beginning and it's attacking the leg and he takes it even a step further and it's almost overkill. I mean, he's doing high fly flows onto this dude's legs and just hitting him with every single variation of a uh, dragon screw. And he's just destroying his legs. And one thing I like, you know, everyone has different takes on the whole leg selling thing. You know, um, there's some people that think that, you know, the guy should just be a la Macho Man Randy Savage, unable to like walk on one of the legs and, and you know, Ricky Morton and everything like that. And then there's other people who, you know, criticize when guys like just completely – Ignore all the leg work that's been done and just start running full force and and never go back to it, you know. But I think Nakamura kind of strikes a really good balance in that he does use his legs, but he always sells before and after he's kind of used it. And it, you know, in a real fight, if a guy's like, 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 let's say hitting you with leg kicks and stuff, if you're at the point where you can't use your leg, the match is over in most cases you can still use the leg. It just hurts a lot. You know what I mean? Might hinder you a bit, but you still can fight in a realistic manner. And that's kind of what Nakamura does here. But like you said, uh, Sam, I don't know how many matches, how many, this might be the most one-sided match I've, I've ever seen uh, at this phase of his career. I mean, Nakamura gets so little offense. Uh, Tanahashi is just dismantling him the entire match. And, to see him work as a babyface in peril and work from underneath the whole time, and to get that simpy from the crowd, he is so good at it. Like it's it's so unique and it's so incredible, man.
0: His selling is so incredible. His facial expressions, the way he holds his knee, and the way he wraps his knee around his other leg or his other leg around his knee um, and, like, pulls on it as if he's trying to, like, stretch it out or trying to, like, massage it out and force the pain out. It, it, it's incredible the way he does it. And to get to, like, what you're saying about the knee, it, it, the way I look at it is, like, adrenaline kicks in for the moment when he needs to, but as soon as, like, as soon as he hit, like, he hits a hits a bomb AA uh, and afterwards just falls on the floor writhing with his knee and same with when he gets his knees up to counter the high fly flow. It kills him. Like the look he looks like he hurts more than Tanahashi <laughs> to get his knees up for the high for the high fly flow because Tanahashi has just been every single chance he gets, he's just chopping, stomping, whipping, like just killing Nakamura's knee
2: there. There's something that happens in wrestling, like where if a guy does something very unique and different, I'll, I'll pop for it because I think that there should be more versatility. And I like when there's unique wrestling as opposed to everyone being carbon copies. And the one thing that Tanahashi does in this match towards the end, that is so great. And it, and it, it, it is what elevates this match above many of their other matches is the, the closing sequence is after Nakamura gets the upper hand. He starts uh, going into a finishing sequence where he starts landing bombayes. Tanahashi puts his arms up in an X and blocks the first Hmm. Bombay. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) I I remember there's a match uh, from 86. It's uh, Jake Roberts versus uh, Rick Steamboat. And Rick Steamboat keeps trying to throw the chop at jake roberts so jake roberts decides i'm gonna put my arms up and block it (laughs) (laughs) and i've never seen anyone like cross their arms and block a chop before and i was like oh this man jake roberts is a freaking genius And when i see people do stuff like that i'm like why don't people use a guard in wrestling when you're getting struck it's (laughs) like it seems so simple and I, i loved that but like You know Nakamura hits hits the freaking guard of Tanahashi. It hurts both guys, and then Nakamura uses the other leg to land the the opposite alternative bomba. I I didn't catch that. Oh, it's oh, that's so good. He throws the right leg. It gets blocked. He goes backwards. He makes the face. He's holding his knee. Tanahashi's loopy, and then he hits him with the left leg. It's so good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just just brilliant (laughs) storytelling there. Um... Yeah, Nakam- Tanahashi yet yeah, just destroyed Nakamura's knee this whole match, and yeah, I love too. There was like a, a near um, countout spot towards the beginning. Uh, Tanahashi hits the high fly flow to the outside, and we get to the dramatic nineteen, and Nakamura just yep. barely, barely gets in, and that's great too. There's so much emotion in this match, and yeah, this was a masterpiece.
0: great. Five stars, easy. And the the
2: finishing sequence is pretty pretty incredible. Uh, it's basically Nakamura just hitting Bombay. It's like he hits that first Bombay that we just talked about, goes to the top rope, hits him with another one, goes to the top rope, hits him with another one, and then hits him with one final proper one, and hits him with four. And uh, actually, I'm sorry, no, he hits him with the three, yeah. goes for the pin. Nakamura kicks or uh, Tanahashi kicks out and you're like what is it gonna (laughs) take and then he hits he hits him with a fourth and final decisive one to to put down the ace and um and it's weird because suddenly Tanahashi's been horrible the whole match and then gets put down and you kind of regain a bit of respect and sympathy for the guy because he got put down and on the flip side like nakamura survived the onslaught and he looks better coming out of it it does favors for both guys this is a perfectly booked match like it's
1: incredible so uh sam were you, were you serious on uh, your five stars
0: yeah 100 percent. this is a great match this is a fantastic match and i hadn't seen it before i went went to watch this um went to watch through for this project i thought we'd be doing um the wrestle kingdom match and then i saw this one and i was like "Yep, yeah, this is it this, you know, this isn't... The Wrestle Kingdom match feels like a big event for Tanahashi and Nakamura and for the belt, but this feels like a real triumph for Nakamura. Like, this feels personal. This feels like a personal triumph for Nakamura. Um, and, yeah, it's just... A, yeah, it's, it's a really unique match for a, a New Japan main event, but it's perfect. It's so good. Uh,
2: I... I'd. Personally, I'm gonna go four and a half on this one. Um there's no real reason. Like I can't criticize anything about the match necessarily. They told the story they wanted to tell. I just think it was a four and a half story. But with that being said, four and a half it means it's like absolutely incredible. I love this yeah. match. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I'm it's, also it's a banger.
1: Yeah, I'm also four and a half here. Once again, yeah, kind of same thinking as you, Josh. I guess I don't know whatever. I just felt it's a four and a half story. And just when I compare it to other matches that I've given five two or even four point seven five, I don't know. Just there's something a smidge missing, but yeah, four and a half is still a great rating. Still a, a match of the year contender rating there. So definitely, if you guys have not uh, watched this match, go out of your way to check this one out.
2: And and, and we're we're back on the uh, Nakamura training. Right. Three-time IWGB Intercontinental Champion.
1: Yeah, just you know, further just uh, solidifying himself as kind of the face of the IC championship and continuing to elevate this title to new levels. So uh uh at the end of this match, Daniel Gracie
2: comes out <laughs> Of the Gracie this family the, this, fame. This
0: could wipe half the star <laughs> off, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and he and he challenges Nakamura to a match and to a title match, and he you know, it's it's uh, I forget which who the other Gracie was, but it's Royal, the two
1: Gracies. R O L L yes
2: Oh holes. Yeah, it's Holes Gracie and Daniel Gracie against like uh, the
0: discount Gracie's. It's not even <laughs> the good ones. <laughs>
2: <laughs> against Nakamura and Sakuraba comes to his side. Sakuraba actually joins Chaos and uh, becomes tag team partners with Nakamura and they enter into a feud with these guys on some high profile shows. And God this was this is the point where Kidani was trying to bring in shooters and kind of restart the whole uh, An- UWFI thing.
1: Inokiism And it's
2: yeah, he wanted to bring in some Inokiism. He was talking about signing like Shinya Aoki and stuff like that, and I gotta tell you, this is a black mark on uh, Nakamura's title reign. This shit sucks so <laughs> fucking
1: bad. <laughs> uh. So uh, following this Tanahashi match uh, Nakamura would go on a North American tour With Ring of Honor For their World of Worlds Tour Where he will face off against Kevin Steen Better known as Kevin Owens On May 17th And that match is free on Ring of Honor's YouTube I've watched it in the past And that's just a great matchup uh, Nakamura, Kevin Owens, check that out and then- I think it's overrated <laughs> Uh, <laughs> is I, <it's> good. <laughs> so following that He goes back to Japan later that month Where he would make um, His first successful defense in the third reign Against um, Daniel Gracie here So he defeats Daniel Gracie uh, Have any of you guys seen that match?
2: Yeah I've seen it It's really bad it's like 10 minutes I wouldn't recommend watching it I will say it is the low point of Nakamura's IWGP title reign Or intercontinental title reigns for sure It's not good. It's not good at all. It's bad.
0: (laughs) Uh, I saw the reviews of this thing and was like, no, I'll pass on that. There's a a lot of matches in this list. I'm not going to waste my time on that. I
2: haven't even looked at the reviews. Oh, God. Yeah, if you go to uh, Cage Match, you can't even find a review on it. Um, (laughs) I'm looking at the event, and did anyone even rate this on their review? God, no. Yeah, it's bad. I'll tell you that, though.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, stay far away from that one. Um, so from there, he goes on to Dominion June 21st of that year, and he would lose the title to Bad Luck Falle in his second defense, ending his third reign. So uh, another short reign here. Uh, but what did you guys think about this reign?
0: Started out so well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, at this point, Nakamura's already put in the work to, like, carve out his legacy so it's not really about developing the legacy anymore like the the title is so associated with him but um you know it it is kind of looked down on you've got the daniel gracie match which is not good uh i will say the the battle of folly match um it headlined dominion that year so i think it's a little bit of a disappointment for a headliner for dominion but in the same respect it is one of the better Bad Luck Folly matches, It's probably like a three-and-a-half-star match, and it was a surprise at the time um, you know, that the underboss was being elevated to the level to where he could beat Nakamura, and a lot of this was built off of their New Japan Cup final match where Nako- that, that match, Nakamura gets busted open and bleeds very profusely and was in a lot of trouble and finally overcame Folly, and I think they'd been kind of building to another big match with them. So this was their attempt to kind of push bad luck Fale is like another you know top pushed guy in bullet club i don't know that it worked out but when you look at the names daniel gracie bad luck Fale, it's not necessarily marifuji you know tanahashi and uh <laughs> suzuki it's not <laughs> quite that
1: yeah so yeah we kind of started off on, on the highest heights on this reign and, and this feud with tanahashi and then yeah slowly kind of plummet our way down to uh bad luck Fale. Um, but again, you know the IC title is still seen in high regards It's a main eventing Evasion Attack, it's main eventing Dominion So it's still seen as a main event title Even though this reign might not be as great as the first two
2: Yeah, the, the good news is that the title wouldn't stay off of him for very long And, you know, this is kind of just a blip
1: Right, and that, that leads us to the fourth reign So on September 21st, there was a rematch with Falle at destruction in Kobe, and Nakamura quickly gets the title back and defeats Balak Fale. It says kick off the fourth reign. He would then make his first successful title defense at Power Struggle against Katsuyura Shibata. And we've kind of talked about the background, and the backstory of those guys, and the whole uh, new Three Musketeers. So after defeating Shibata, he moves on to Wrestle Kingdom 9, January 4th, 2015, where he would face off against Kota Ibushi and defeat. Ibushi in his second uh, title defense And I think this is probably one of His more Famous title match just because it was on that Wrestle Kingdom 9 show that a lot of Westerners kind of jumped in on With the promotion of Global Force Wrestling
2: Yeah I mean I think there's no um, Splitting hairs about it This is the defining match Of Shinsuke Nakamura's career uh, This is his great His From an in ring standpoint creatively uh, it's the most compelling match he's ever taken place in. It is the match that launched Kotobushi into a even higher stratosphere of superstardom. Uh, it's what gave the company confidence to start going with him later that year and to really push him as a commodity and you know kind of set him on the trajectory of stardom that he's on even to this current day. Um, and it's, it's a masterpiece. It's a five-star classic. It's, yeah, and not only that, I mean, like we talked about, the entrance the the that indelible moment where he's wearing the crown and he's coming out and uh the entrance graphic for the for the uh show it shows like you know that they've got okada and tanahashi those guys are aces but there's only one king and that's nakamura and nakamura comes out and he does the pose and that moment like that's that's like his career high uh it, it's incredible. And, and also, they're coming out on a worldwide stage to the North American audience and really expanding their view to everybody. And it is what made Nakamura even greater of a legend. Like, it's this, this, we could have, any one of us could have picked this match easily, but it's so known and so reviewed, it almost would have seemed like a disservice to pick this match. But it, it yeah, it's, it's Nakamura's finest hour.
0: I was very surprised none of us picked this match (laughs) because it is like you've just, you've said it perfectly. This is the pinnacle of everything that he did um, in, you know, as a, as a wrestler in new Japan, as an intercontinental champion, him coming out with that crown is just an incredible image. And he backed up the fact that he was coming out with a crown with one of the great, Wrestle Kingdom matches and Wrestle Kingdom has had some amazing matches and this is this will always stand amongst the best
1: yeah definitely hands down so if you have not watched this match yet I don't know what you're doing you need to go out and watch uh, Nakamura why are you listening to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) pause the podcast and go watch Wrestle Kingdom 9 and then then come back right away so then from there, he makes his third defense on New Beginning in Sendai, February 14th, where he would defeat Yuji Nagata. And then his fourth reign would end come Wrestling Dontaku 2015, May 3rd, where he's defeated by his longtime rival and friend, Hiroki Goto. And then they would have a rematch on July 5th at Dominion in Osaka Joe Hall, but uh, Goto defeated him again. Um, So we see this Goto rivalry kind of pick back up here towards the end of this reign. I I did watch the Dominion match, and once again, these guys always work so well together and just have a really hard-hitting matchups. And I think Nakamura, you know, with that friendship, I think he he gives a lot to Goto, and he cares about kind of like the positioning and career of Goto and really gives him a lot and gives him some great matches.
2: Yeah, and not only that, I think the company was... uh, going with goto at at the time they were um you know very behind him i think that goto as a worker was a much more complete worker in 2015 as opposed to the the goto version that i saw in 2012 um i actually elected to watch the uh the match that we're going to talk about when um nakamura regained the title but um you know overall you look at this this uh title run you know, from September of 2014 to May of 2015. And it is the last great Nakamura title reign that he would ever have. And um, the timing of it is very precarious because he, hit- he hits his highest heights in the Kotobushi match, drops the title in May, and then doesn't regain it at Dominion like everyone would suppose. And that's leading right into the G1. And he's at the height of his popularity. And people are like oh, he doesn't have the IC title going into the G1 this year. That frees him up to maybe win the G1, <laughs> hypothetically. Right. And he, he makes it to the finals uh, this year, um, defeating, I believe he defeats Okada in the, um, the B-block finals or the A-block finals, I can't remember. But he makes it to the finals against Tanahashi. And you know he, he just beat you know the freaking ace of the company, now he's going up against Tanahashi and they have their career best match as well um, the best match that they've ever had against one another but he loses to Tanahashi and like you're like thinking that this guy's done with the IWGP IC title scene and maybe is on the precipice of ascending back to IWGP title status and Tanahashi's like no baby that's not for you <laughs> 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 and, and, and that's kind of the same and then that, that's what leads us into the, uh, the fifth and final reign but interestingly enough in that tournament after the two uh, defeats he faced uh, that he had against Goto they faced off in the same block and he actually tapped Goto out with an armbar to create their, their match at destruction so that was sort of the thing that was the impetus for that match
1: nice so yeah, that kicks off the fifth reign. Uh Destruction in Kobe. He defeats Goto to get the title back for the fifth time. Then from there. Oh, and Josh, you said you watched this match. Any any comments on this on that Goto match?
2: Yeah, I think it's their best match. Um it it's very similar in um overall story. Well, overall quality to the uh the match they had at Dominion. This match is the culmination. I like culmination matches because there's always a lot of callbacks to Things that happened in the the feud, um, I, I wouldn't. I think all these matches they had were very good. I wouldn't say they're blowaway. Uh, this one, I probably go like four and a quarter on it. I think uh, a lot of people were higher on it at the time it happened, but um, you know, ultimately Nakamura, you know, beats Goto, takes takes his belt back from Goto, and you know, sets a fifth record setting uh you know wins his title for a fifth time record setting time and it's it's incredible and you know goto was kind of thorn in his side all year long and that was like this is the one guy that he's really feuded with for a long period of time over the um the iwgp title you know uh with, with tanahashi it always felt like tanahashi and him were kind of fighting for this belt, but Tanahashi was here for a cup of tea and was going to leave. But Goto is the guy he originally won the belt from. It's the guy that he lost the belt to, won it back from. So, I mean, they, they had a long-standing career, or, you know, career rivalry when it comes to this upper mid-card title
1: here. Yeah. Sam, did you, did you watch this one by chance?
0: I watched the Dominion match as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, um, I don't know. These two, they're just really, really good together. And as as I think you said, Jeremy, I think Nakamura really wants to emphasize and wants to put Goto over and that comes across um, because he, you know, he's on his best behavior in these matches. He is. uh, And, and Goto brings it as Goto always does. I don't think I've ever seen a bad Goto match, honestly. Um, Don't, don't recommend me one, but he always, he always just gives it his all. And, you know, it's kind of i don't know coming back it's the the fifth reign by now it's i could i obviously i wasn't watching at the time but i can see why you know people might have been disappointed with it's like oh he's gone back to the ic title again just in time for wrestle kingdom where he can have another match and you know the match that's coming up against aj styles is a really great match but i can definitely see how if you're a big nakamura guy at this point you may have been a bit like oh gosh you know we've i've I've seen this before and I want something different from, um, from my, my favorite wrestler. Mm. Well,
2: I, I was watching at the time and I can tell you what people thought, at least here in the States, uh, die and, uh, rich ladder will uh, test to this. Cause I remember him and I talking about this very extensively at the time. We thought that he was doing a favor to elevate Godot. And that's the direction the company wanted to go. Godot is his last big feud. Before he goes back up to the heavy uh, to the main event title scene, and that's what it felt like. It felt like he Goto was was an obstacle he had to get past, so that he could leave the IC title in a better state. Mm-hmm. But we were like, after Wrestle Kingdom, all bets are off. Like we were like, he is for sure going to be in the heavyweight title scene. They cannot deny this man Nakamura any longer. None of us were thinking about Kenny Omega. None of us, like, th- like, that was not a forethought that anybody had. Like, yeah, we knew he was talented and everything, but we were not, like, thinking that that guy was on the rise at, at all. Like, we're like, look at the big four. You got Tanahashi, you got Okada, you got AJ, and you got Nock. Nock is due. It is his <laughs> time. He's he's up, man. Like, we're like, he got this bum godo out of there. he going to go to Wrestle Kingdom, he's going to beat AJ's ass. And after he does that, it's smooth sailings. IWGP, he's going to win the G1 this year, either the New Japan yeah. Cup. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't think that, but we we're like, you know, we we knew Naito was coming, but we're like saying. we're like he's either winning the cup or he's winning the G1 and it's his time. He cannot be denied any longer. Like those the two guys we were worried about was like Shibata and Naito. We're like, what Shibata and Naito, they're they're coming too and we're like that's great cuz that sets up new challengers for him. I was absolutely convinced this guy was going to win an IWGP title for sure. <laughs> God, I was wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after destruction in Kobe, he makes his first uh, title defense of the fifth reign at Power Struggle of that year, where he defeats Machine Gun Carl Anderson, and this was avenging a loss in the 2015 G1 Climax.
2: And uh, and you know what else? He always had really good matches with Carl Anderson, and always. Like I think I've always heard him and Carl are pretty close, and he always made Carl look like a million bucks.
1: Yeah, those guys great chemistry.
2: And Carl is a great wrestler too. I'm not saying like he; it's all because Nakamura. Like those those two guys had great chemistry, like you said.
1: And then after that, we go to Wrestle Kingdom 10, January 4, 2016, in the epic match against AJ Styles um, for the IC title. He defeats AJ here. In the second defense of the fifth reign, and again, this is an, another one of his very popular title matches that we could, any one of us could have easily picked to do a full review on. But I think we all three of us kind of think like it's been talked about a lot, and so we kind of picked some hidden gems that people don't really talk about that much. But this Wrestle Kingdom ten match was absolutely incredible, uh, a match that people still talk about today, and a, a match that we were hoping to get on our WWE stage, but Um, Didn't hit quite that level Uh, But definitely a great Last stand for both of these guys in New Japan
2: Yeah I think I've rewatched it recently and to be Honest with you I don't think it really holds up As high as I remember It but every time I've ever Watched it and I've watched it many 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 times I I love this match and um, It was Unfortunately the send off (laughs) (laughs) For both AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura and I don't think very many people knew that. I mean, the funny thing was like we were thinking that it maybe with Styles, like Styles talked about like his back retiring. Uh we knew that contract, you know, that there was a situation, but I don't think anyone was like, he's going to WWE for sure or anything like that. And I definitely did not think Nakamura was leaving. And um but, yeah, he, he – uh, the great thing was um, at the end of the match when he shows respect. And that, there's very few times that, that he, like, did that. Like, the Ibushi match is one of them. He shows respect to Ibushi at the end of the match. And then him and AJ Styles show respect to one another. And that uh, – Nakabar had been feuding with the Bullet Club leading into this match, you know, the Carl the Anderson match and everything. And then this was kind of, like, the last straw for the villainous Bullet Club when it comes to AJ and was kind of the impetus for the rise of Kenny Omega – And after this match, there was a promised title defense between Kenny Omega and Nakamura that we never ended up getting. I think we should talk about that just very briefly as we kind of wrap up, you know, uh, this review project.
1: Right. So he defeats AJ. And then hours after that, there are rumors on the dirt sheets that Nakamura had given his notice the morning of the Tokyo Dome and uh, announcing that he was going to WWE. He would uh, remain under contract and was expected to finish off his contracted dates with the promotion before leaving. Then on January 12th, Nakamura would confirm that he is leaving New Japan and it was announced that he was stripped of the IWGP IC title. So, like you were mentioning, Josh, they did not have him drop the title before he left. They decided to strip him of the title um, and eventually do something, go in a different direction. To um, get it on Kenny Omega, but we did not get that Kenny Omega Nakamura match for the title.
2: Yeah, and you know, they they built to it uh, at uh, New Beginning, or not New Beginning. Yeah, uh, he calls
0: him out at New Year's Dash. At after, New Year's after he hits AJ Styles, he goes, Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and His only, only
0: Kenny Omega can.
1: Yes.
2: He he beat uh, Shinsuke Nakamura with the One Winged Angel yeah. in the center of the ring in that tag team match during New Year's Dash. So, like, it was very clear that he'd be the next challenger, and he was going to heavyweight. And once he turned on AJ, that angle, everyone was like, "Oh, I, you know, just so excited to see Kenny, you know, his rise and." People were sad about Nakamura, but, like, it was, a, it was this big dream match that we were promised, and we just, we never got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so then uh, January 25th is where he would uh, officially hand the title over, and that officially ends his fifth reign. And then he would wrestle his last match under New Japan contract on January 30th, where he teamed up with Okada and Ishii to defeat Goto, Tanahashi, and Shibata. So obviously, all kind of the key guys in his career, guys that he's had rivalries with, teamed with, been friends with, um, guys that were in his stable. Um, so just you know, those guys that had a, a big impact on his career, and that's how he ended his run there in New Japan.
2: You know, I've I've got some mixed reviews or mixed uh, emotions and feelings uh, when it comes to how I feel about this whole thing. On, on the one hand, I think obviously when you look at the numbers, 17 title defenses, you know, five title reigns, the the most title defenses combined, the most in a single reign, you know, um, he's tied with Naito for most actual title reigns, but when you compare the quality of the two reign, or, or, you know, reign for reign, there's no comparison. Um, He elevated this title to new heights, uh, uh, and elevated himself to new heights in the midst of the process. So, He's undoubtedly the greatest IWGP Intercontinental Champion by, by far, and there, you know, the, the next closest guy is probably Naito. But when you really think about it, no one else really consistently headlined with this belt at a top level and made it feel as prestigious or and as important as uh, Nakamura did. Nakamura took it from being uh, an afterthought to being seen and written in publications as being equal at the time as the IWGP title. And I think since he dropped it, and this is, um, I'm not blaming Kenny Omega or any of the guys that came after him, but no one else made this title feel that it was as important as the IWGP title the same way Nakamura did. Like, that just never happened again. You know, not even with Naito, not even with Tanahashi, not with Kenny Omega, none of those guys. So it's really great. But on the other hand, as great as his title defenses were, I think where you saw the heights of of Nakamura during this period of time were in non-title matches during G1s and during New Japan Cups. And it seemed that he kind of did. And, you know, there's always the, uh, there's always been a criticism that like Nakamura would take nights off and kind of wrestle to the level of guys that he was with. And so like in a lot of these title defenses, like in the big, big matches on the big shows, like, yeah, he would deliver. But then when he was wrestling, like some of the mid card guys, he would only give so much, maybe take him to like a three, three and a half to four star level and kind of keep it sitting around there, you know? But then you see him in the G1, you see him against guys like Naito, Suzuki, Ishii, Tanahashi, you know, and he's putting in these bangers. <laughs> Which isn't an indictment on... Because at the time, most of those times, he's the champion. And like I mentioned, it does speak highly of the championship. But it is the one thing that you kind of wonder, as great as his run with the IC title, is what if they had given him another top, top run, which they never actually did during that time. And I think that's the one drawback of this whole thing, is that we didn't get to see enough of him with the top guys during this period. But... You know, the, the, the pros probably outweigh the cons as he he did a favor in elevating an entire generation of workers that were not seen to be on the same level as the Tanahashis and, you know, the Naitos and Okadas and everything of that nature.
0: Yeah, I think with the, the run, everyone who comes afterwards and all of the stuff that comes afterwards is standing on Nakamura's shoulders. Um, I understand what you're saying there. Josh, particularly with you know, he didn't get a chance to wrestle an Okada. He didn't get a chance to wrestle uh, Naito. Or, but at the same time, with this reign, if you don't have this reign, you don't have you don't have Naito's reign with it, where he's treating it like a piece of crap, and that's a scandal <laughs> because if you know if this is still a bronze bronze uh, a black belt with a bronze thing, then it is a piece of crap still. Like, if if Nakamura doesn't get it, then Naito's just treating it how it is, and it's not a scandal, you know. And if you don't have Nakamura's reign, then you don't have Tanahashi sort of reclaiming it from Naito because it doesn't mean anything for him to restore it um, because what's he restoring, you know, this belt that means nothing from? Uh, there's no more important figure in the history of this championship than Nakamura. And... I kind of get where you're coming from. I guess as a as a fan of Nakamura, um, was this belt at in later periods was this belt actually holding him back? Maybe potentially, um, you know, as we sort of said, was maybe him him running into Wrestle Kingdom 10 was that maybe the time where they should have done something different? Um, but at the same time, from the belt, from from looking at this. Historically, for the belt, Nakamura is, is the champion. He is the intercontinental champion, and everyone who comes since will be compared to the bar that he set.
2: Yeah, I think you can't rewrite history. You can, uh, in hindsight, maybe criticize. I think the thing yeah. that uh, sort of was very telling was that after he lost that G1 final to Tanahashi, I think it was very clear to most of the fan base and audience that they most likely weren't going with him. You know, if they were going to, that was their chance and they chose not to. And who knows what all his motivations were for coming to America, wrestling in WWE. But I've got to imagine once you were kind of told, like you're, you're sticking where you're at and you're not coming out of it. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're our top, you're our tip top mid card title guy. Essentially the role Naito has been in for the past few years that probably was a huge motivation for him realizing like handwriting's on the wall. And I think that has a lot to do with why he went to America, honestly.
1: Right. Once he saw that he was never going to be elevated again into that IWGB heavyweight title picture, he's like, all right, I've always loved American culture and working in America. Let me take my chances there and try to, um, you know, elevate myself and become a bigger, uh, global star. Um, so yeah, I can definitely understand his thoughts there and, and leaving through that. Uh, so, that kind of wraps it up. Um, any uh, final thoughts here on the title reign? On, on, on Nakamura and all his title reigns?
2: I honestly feel like I summed up everything in, in that uh, brief summation there. Um, any thoughts you guys have? But, uh, you know, I, I love doing this project. I think it uh,
0: was great. Yeah, I've, I've said everything I think I'd, I feel like I can say about it. Um, but, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun, and it's definitely... It was fun to dive into those matches, those lesser-known matches, for sure.
1: Yeah, had a great time going back and watching uh, these Nakamura matches. And yeah, it was an incredible superstar, some great title reigns. Um, so let's uh, jump into these questions you know here. But be- be-
2: before we jump into the questions, I got a question. And we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I think this renaissance of classic, classic, like, era-defining matches that we've seen in New Japan you know, uh, occurred sort of on the heels of of Nakamura leaving the company. Do you guys think, because I will say this, as much as I love these matches and as much as I loved his time there, I think there could be an argument to be made that while he was there, he didn't... Uh, kind of what we said about AJ Styles a, a few weeks ago, that at the time, people were raving about the matches, but I don't think they live up to... 2016 2017 2018 era new japan's working style do you think if he had stayed he would have got bypassed by the younger performers or do you do you think like maybe like tanahashi he would have been able to still hang with those guys
1: Uh, i don't know it's an interesting question like you mentioned you know nakamura would, would wrestle to the guy the level of the guys he was in there with so Maybe depending on which young guy he was in there with, maybe he could hold up with them. Um, and his selling is incredible. I think his selling would have definitely helped him in any situation.
2: Um, I, I just wonder, because you look at his NXT run, I know it's a different situation, and he was there was a clear decline from the uh, Sami Zayn match to where he never really got to those heights again. Like we never saw a new Japan Nakamura. Um, and I'm wondering if it's because of the environment or if he was clearly just declining. And I think there is a little of that in there, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: What do you think? Sarah? I think it's, it's very, oh man, it's, it's really hard to tell. Um, I, 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 didn't really looked at a lot of, I probably only looked at a handful of Nakamura matches, um, before doing this project with you guys. um, and, you know, just a handful of his, you know, really biggest matches. I think you're right about the selling, but his style was very punishing. Very. Mm. And I don't know if he could have wrestled, you know, like the half an hour matches with Kenny Omega or Kota Ibushi. He probably would have still had some great matches, but I think he would have probably been overtaken um, by the generation that's now come through, the Jay Whites, the the Kota Ibushis, the Kenny, well, Kenny Omega when he was still there. Um, and ultimately, he was already eclipsed by Okada in terms of roster positioning. Right, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just one of those great
0: what-ifs, you know. I, I don't know if that would have uh,
2: in, incited him to raise his game. Mm. Or if that would have been like, I'm going to take a step back and let these young bucks, you know, kind of handle things sort of like what Tanahashi and Suzuki sort of had to do to a certain degree.
0: Right. I mean certainly based on the evidence. So like the the best piece of evidence we've got as to where he ended up would be the WrestleMania match with AJ Styles. And Radio, they did go in with absolutely unfair expectations. It was as much set up by the fans and the WWE as as it was the fault of those two going into it. But you've got to imagine they gave that match everything they possibly could. And as good as it is and it's it is a good match, it's absolutely not what you know it's it's not on the same level as the stuff we see in new japan and you've got to imagine that that was those guys going as hard and as doing as much as they could to get that match over and it didn't um it, it didn't get to that standard and that's the best that's the best evidence we've got as to what he could have handled in 2017 2018
2: going as hard as they could giving everything they could under the guidance of the agent. <laughs> in, in WWE, you got an agent, and they tell you how to wrestle. They tell you what to do. It ain't the. It's not even wrestling. WWE's not even wrestling. It's bullshit. Like so, I, I see what you're saying, but. But anyways, I uh let's let's you, you want to jump into these questions, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, let's run through these questions. So first, from Reddit user Tomda24. Should Nakamura have had more and longer reigns as IWGP heavyweight champion? Uh,
2: well, you know, that um, when he was kind of booked for those title reigns in most cases, the booking was not what it should have been. There was a lot of hot shotting, business wasn't where it should have been. He probably should have, but at the same time, um, you know, Nakamura hadn't really even really found himself completely during that period my argument is I wish that he would have gotten a title reign later uh in his you know ultimate form uh, but you know decisions were made things th- things happened
1: <laughs> yeah I, I would have loved to see in a King of Strong style Nakamura title reign in and a long kind of you know similar to his first IC title reign I think would have, would have been great to see
0: to play devil's advocate part of the the amazing luster of the IWGP heavyweight championship is that not every it like it's a really exclusive championship to hold mm. and the fact that nakamura didn't get that on a second on like another time in his ultimate form almost adds to the prestige of that belt i you know it's true. i would have loved to have seen that that happen um but well obviously i wouldn't be watching at the time but talking you know it would have been cool for that to happen but uh you know it, there's there's some positives in the fact that it didn't yeah
2: yeah Qu- quality insight from sir sam <laughs>
1: <laughs> what uh, you get? <laughs> next question here from reddit user pcn91 uh, says where do you think shinsuke would have been placed in the card if he had never left to go to WWE? do you think he would have gotten another iwgp title run
2: I think it's possible, but it's, uh, with so many factors, you know, other guys leaving other guys being, uh, elevated, it's really hard to know that entirely. Um, I think it was easier to kind of project for Shibata because there was a clear story arc and I think things were a little bit clearer, uh, you know, when I was kind of like projecting things last week, but I think it's harder with Nakamura. I think that there's a good likelihood he wouldn't have gotten another
1: title run. Personally. I agree. Yeah, I think based off what we kind of saw in that that final G1 and constantly being in in the IC title picture, I I think he was kind of going to be slated for the IC division, and I think he would have probably just been a guy who was either the champion or challenging for the championship probably if he was still there.
2: I I think personally we would have seen him slip into a Tanahashi-esque role over time. You know, L- guys that are still at the top but who aren't really hogging the top spots. I think, I think you know, it would have been very interesting to see what happened with the Jay White chaos saga had he
0: still been there. Mm, yeah. You know what would have been an interesting position for him? The U.S. title holder.
1: Yeah, very popular uh, in the West. Uh, they could have used him to try and uh, catapult that title and get it over.
0: Yeah, and he wears red pants, and the belt's red. (laughs) (laughs) Book it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Next question here from Reddit user JustAlittleBear01. When you picked your matches to review, did you find yourselves going for your personal favorites, most historically significant that was available, or a mix of both? Love the show.
2: Uh, I think a mix of both. I I, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe there are some people that, were not along for the ride and would like to hear us talk about Ibushi and um, the AJ matches in Wrestle Kingdom, but I just feel like it's been so overdone and you can find that content out there so easily. But there's not a lot of people talking about this Lasambra match. <laughs> 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 or or, you know, if they are talking about Tanahashi matches, they're they're gonna talk about one of the Tokyo Domes. They're gonna talk about a G one final. They're not talking yeah. about the invasion attack match. And uh, you know, I I really don't think enough people praise the master work that he did with Sakuraba. So I think that has to do with why we, I think we're trying to pick things that would be interesting to us creatively, but also for the audience to listen to.
0: Yeah. We're out here digging for diamonds. We're not digging in the normal places. Everyone else is where we're out in the wild West.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And for me, since we've been doing this new project every week, like for me, I'm picking a lot of stuff that I have not seen And that I think would be interesting to talk about um, So like you know La I know as Andrade I know he's a great wrestler but I've heard great Things about him before and I just thought It'd be really interesting to see him and Nakamura And just seeing what that looked like and just what La Sombra was all about uh, So that's kind of how my mindset Is going into these things uh, next question here from a twitter follower at iwgp underscore fan it says i was re-watching shinsuke nakamura versus yoshihiro Takeyama from wrestle kingdom 4 last night and the timing of both men was on point a great match and was easily one of my favorite moments bringing him full circle what are some of your standout moments in nakamura's rise to legendary status
2: oh uh that's a great question um I mean, the Takayama series is really great. Uh, They had two big matches. There's one in '04. He said he watched the one from '09.
1: Uh, yeah, Wrestle Kingdom four. So I think so, yeah. Okay,
2: yeah. Um, The first match that they had in the Tokyo Dome in 2004, though, uh, those kind of play into one another, and that's a really great match. Um, you know, if we're talking. Early era. I mean, you've got his third title win against Makabe, uh, which was the culmination of the uh, Chaos GBH feud.
0: That's a big one. That's a great Um, match. Very uh, bloody match.
2: Yeah. His uh, two Tokyo Dome matches with uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi um, prior to the one that we just discussed. um, Those are big deals. His match with Kojima um, for the title... His, math, his match with Muto when he dropped the title at New Japan Circuit, um, those are kind of the ones that sort of stick out in my memory. Um, even the Brock Lesnar match, which is, should have been a, be- a better match and a bigger deal, it, it's a pretty uh, interesting screenshot of where the company was and where the competitors were at the time that it happened. Sort of a dream match that you, you're never going to get again, and um, that one's interesting to watch also.
1: Yeah, and I think we've, we we kind of covered a lot of what other moments that have helped him, you know, rise to legendary status with these IC title runs, uh, and just the great defenses and um, you know elevating it to a main main event level. I think definitely helped his status as well. So uh, moving on to the next question here from uh, Kyle Moore's in the Wrestling Squared Circle. He said, if you could. Recommend a Shinsuke match to someone unfamiliar with his New Japan work. Other than the IC title match for Styles, what would you recommend? Well, I think all three of us would, would recommend the matches that we reviewed here. Um,
2: the Ibushi match I think is uh, personally my always the first one I would recommend.
0: I'd actually say, for a, for a bit of a random shout, I'd, I'd say the Sakuraba match because it's only 10 or 12 minutes long, you know. I get annoyed when people recommend me a match and it's like, you know, Forty-five minutes. <laughs> so, give give uh, me a, a twelve-minute match. <laughs> fair enough, but I
2: think the um, the what's it called match? is like twenty minutes. The Yabushi match.
0: Yeah, it's not that long. I, yeah. <laughs> I saw this uh, question before, and I, I thought the Sakuraba match is a is a different option just because it it really does show his strengths as a striker and some of the things that makes him unique um
2: one match that i'd recommend that i don't think it's enough recognition at all is his match with ishii during the 2014 g1 mm. yeah
1: yeah like you mentioned yeah his g1 runs did have a lot of gems in them that we didn't really cover here because we were focusing on the, the title reigns but he did have some excellent g1 title matches or g1 matches yep uh, so next question from Nicholas Guerrero: What do you think WWE could have done differently on the main roster to make Shinsuke as big of a star as he was in Japan, in NXT, in, in NXT?
0: Not him out Mahal. <laughs> they, should, they, they should
2: never had him lose the gender like that. It was a yeah. bad idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like he was so hot, even coming off the NXT run. He was so hot and there was a lot of buzz of him coming to the main roster. I think they should have put the title on him. They should have. I mean, he has, He has, still hasn't won the title and probably shouldn't now, but they should have put the title on him quickly after he made his main roster debut. I
2: I mean, they didn't want to do this, but I don't think I think the one thing they could have done a little bit differently is probably give him a manager. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't go super in depth with all the things that could have done differently. Cause there's so much that that was wrong with the company at the time and still is with how they book and just the structure of their entire like philosophy of booking. So there, there's a lot of things that could have changed and been done differently. But the one simple answer, I think they had a problem with him not speaking English. They could have had him have a mouthpiece and I think they should have had him cut promos in Japanese as well. And I don't, I don't think his mouthpiece needed to be Japanese or translate for him necessarily, but they could have had someone who was speaking for him and him, you know, I mean, think about like Tajiri and William Regal and how, however, like Tajiri kind of got when he had someone that was English speaking, he could like, you know, allude to the idea that he understands what they're saying, you know? Right.
0: I would have also said in the WWE to to speak about the way he was portrayed in the WWE his character really didn't get to shine through until he turned heel yeah. and i feel like they could have done that earlier they could have they could have tweaked his baby face character early because he was hot like he was he was hot um i re- i remember the pop that he got when his music hit at money in the bank um, yeah. when he was in that money in the bank match and they they had baron corbin take him out early on in the match and then towards the end his like his music hit and the crowd went mental. And then he had this stare off with AJ Styles and the crowd was losing it. And potentially even, you know, the Jinder Mahal thing happened. And that was, I mean, that that whole year of the SmackDown title was just atrocious. Like the amount of mistakes is ridiculous. But they could have saved it if I think on the road to WrestleMania, after he'd won the Rumble, if he'd been able to start, Shine, having his heel character shine, like have his character shine through a little bit more, because that heel character was really just, it really was just him in New Japan. That's what I felt like it was. Uh, and if they'd been, a, if he'd been able to be a little bit more arrogant, a little bit more cocky, potentially in his run into um, WrestleMania, and then potentially won at WrestleMania, I think it would have been a very different. We'd be looking at a very different position for him in the company now than, you know, where he where he's ended up yeah
2: i mean i i don't know i don't want to get too much into it anymore because once i start thinking about it my the the question i pose to you is what could they have done different to save everybody in that company because nobody <laughs> nobody is over nobody is a star they haven't handled a single yeah. guy properly in like what a decade so you know i i don't know yeah. how could they have, how could they have saved him not been themselves not B-W-W-E. They suck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, next question from a friend of the show, Zach Porter. He says, do you both miss his subconscious theme as much as I do?
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorites of all time. Um, was watching these matches with uh, my girlfriend this past week, and she is adamant, As much she loves Nakamura, she's adamant that his WWE theme is far superior to uh, the subconscious theme, which I think it it's ludicrous. I, li- I like
0: both themes, but I think that this is an yep. all-time banger. Love that guitar line. I agree. that, well, that was going to be my hot take, Josh, I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say subconscious is better than his WWE theme, but it is better than Rising Sun. They're both great, obviously, but yeah. yeah, that guitar line is sick, and it's just so good for his character, like the arrogance and the cockiness. And the rock star presentation.
1: Yeah, I love subconscious, and yeah, it's, I do think it's better than Rising Sun as well. Even though I, lo- I love Rising Sun also, but yeah, that's of When you heard that, you know, kind of that little like wind chime in the beginning, and then kicking off in the guitar. Yeah, just some epic stuff right there. Uh, next question from Reddit user Highest Fly Flow. He says, "Yao or Yao? Not to brag more, not to brag, but he's more of a, a Yao guy himself." Yes,
2: Yao, (laughs) Yao, Yao. That's
1: it. Yeah, I think it's it's spelled like it's like if you kind of look at it like in the English, it might you might think it's Yao, but it's pronounced Yao, like how he spelled it out in the second way there. Absolutely. Um, Then we got a series of questions here from uh, Kyle Martin from the Wrestling Squirt Circle. He says, for someone who hasn't seen the first half of Shinsuke's career, is his run comparable to Randy Orton's? I ask because I see a resemblance in the fact that they were both the youngest world champions at 23, and it took them each year to regain the title after countless failed main event pushes.
2: Um, in terms of in-ring work, I wouldn't like draw too many illusions between the two guys, but I think that there's a, a career trajectory similarity that you've kind of pointed out there. I've never really thought about it. Yeah, I mean, two guys both pushed heavily to start their careers both prodigies when the titles young under a certain persona later in their careers they kind of uh, reinvent themselves as a totally different guy and you know are pushed to the top of the card yeah i see it there
0: just to add on to that but also never become the top number one guy um, or end up behind someone who was potentially when they were bursting onto the scene less favored in John Cena and Tanahashi. Not that Tanahashi wasn't, you know, spotlighted, but certainly Nakamura was picked out as the chosen one early. Yeah. Well, here's
2: another one. Uh 2009, Nakamura uh kind of like returns and becomes like the top leader of Rise and and also and starts chaos and be- becomes the IWGP heavyweight champion for the last time. 2009 was also when Randy Orton was doing his finest work as mm. the leader of legacy and was, I would say arguably was the top guy for that period of time in 2009. Mm. Like he was the, he was higher than Cena to a certain respect. So I think there is even a similarity there in, in the timeline of their careers.
0: Yeah. I'll say this though. Randy Orton versus John Cena is uh, nothing compared to Tanahashi versus Nakamura. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely not. <laughs>
2: I, I don't know. I, I really like those Cena and Randy Orton matches. I, I might be alone
1: in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess after like the fifteenth one, I don't know. It just gets kind of old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that
2: that two thousand nine series, they had the I Quit matches. They had the Last Man Standing matches. Those were good.
0: Yeah. Or the the Iron Man, out,
2: matches, the, the Iron Man match. Yeah. Those were good.
0: Yeah, that was that was the best one.
1: As uh, next question, could you guys break down or explain what New Japan's single belts represent in kayfabe, please? It's always fucked me with that. The U.S. title is for all the Gaijin, and the other week Josh mentioned that the never belts concept changes. Well, what happened there?
2: I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule what the concept of any of the titles are. I don't think the U.S. titles for the gaijins. I think it's just been booked that only gaijins have held it. So, so maybe internally it's for the gaijins but that was never like <laughs> announced it was supposed to be a title that was used as like a uh, top headlining title as part of their US expansion obviously the expansion hasn't gone exactly the way they wanted it to and they've very rarely ever had that title be defended in, <laughs> in the US so it kind of just became the de facto fourth belt it's pretty much just the fourth belt like that's the deal and the original concept for the never title is that it was supposed to be for um, young, up-and-coming, promising talent uh, from, and even a lot of, like, outsiders were supposed to hold that belt in the beginning. Um, so, guys that they could kind of, like, uh, poach a la, you know, Kota Ibushi from other, you know, Japanese independent companies. And it, it didn't happen that way. It, it kind of just became the Carl Gotch Strong-style World Heavyweight Championship.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, because never was going to be, like, a promotion slash show that New Japan was going to run with these, these young guys. And it's going to be essentially never was supposed to be like, kind of like NXT in a way.
2: Like lion's break project. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. And it didn't become that.
1: But yeah, well, everything with all the other singles titles, I don't think there's any, yeah, really rules to,
2: I'll tell you what the titles represent in K Fabe. IWGP one, IC two, <laughs> never three, <laughs> us four. <laughs>
1: What about, what about the junior title?
2: Junior, three. <laughs> never, four. Tag team titles, five. U.S. title, uh, actually, IWGP junior tag team titles, six. Oh, U.S. titles,
0: seven. <laughs> That's my favorite wrestler's of U.S. champion,
2: man. Never, never, six men, eight. <laughs> uh, that's
1: the kayfabe. <laughs> oh man, that, that's not kayfabe. That's a shoot. <laughs> that's
2: shoot, brother.
1: Uh, then he asked "Can a Canadian wrestler get over in America without ever working some dates in Japan?" Test, test. <laughs> dude. I I, I love test. Growing up, t-
2: t- test was over.
1: Dude, I love test. Growing up, man. Edge,
2: Edge, Christian, Edge, Christian. test. Yep.
1: <laughs> Uh, his next question I heard a fucked up story That needs some explaining Or debunking please Like if the IWGP is a work Then what the hell Is even real anymore Anyways With UFC 250 on the horizon I need to know In 1978 Did Enoki buy an island And wrestle a 90 minute Jungle death match Against Masa Saito In front of nobody <laughs>
0: Um <laughs> Sounds like Sounds real to me <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think I think his first question about the IWGP being a work, then what the hell is real anymore is that I think he's just banking a joke there. Uh, <laughs> of course but, uh be. yeah, I noki did buy well no, I know did not buy an island. Like that island I forget the name of it. It's like Gunja Gabai or something like that. It's a um I, I just don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a very famous island in Japan where they had samurai uh, duels, like legendary samurai duels. And so Masa Saito and Inoki were in the middle of a. Uh, and it wasn't 1978, it was 1987 um, when this happened. But yeah, they had an island death match. It was basically a cinematic match. Like, it's like one of the first. Well, I, there's been a lot over the years, but it's essentially a cinematic match. And, yeah, it goes over 90 minutes. It's, it, I, I think goes over two hours, if I remember correctly. It's freaking long. And uh, it's not especially good, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's a spectacle. Yeah, it happened. And then they did it again with uh, Tiger Jeet Singh and uh, freaking Hiroshi Hase in, like, 1991. That one's a little shorter, but they're both uh, very, very long. So, yeah, they're on New Japan World, I'm pretty sure.
1: Can you imagine, like, a a two-hour-long Boneyard match?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's like a feature-length movie. That sounds awesome.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, His last question here, just a hypothetical question. Would you guys be for New Japan creating a Young Lions championship or holding an annual graduation tournament to crown a champion? Similar to the original IWGP title concept, the winner can defend it in the next year's tournament or vacate it and go off for an excursion instead
2: no I'm not for it I think that that's a cool concept and maybe if I was uh running like say a lions division on like wwe2k then maybe that would be something fun to entertain myself with but I don't like the concept for a few reasons uh number one the young lions generally don't really get an especially big push until they really come back from excursion. Anyways, they're, they're, they're there to like learn and we're there to kind of see them grow, but to put a title on them, like you're taking, you're, you're putting prestige on a, on a concept of a championship that really isn't going to be that prestigious later on because those guys might not work out. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't think there's a bad idea of them having annual tournaments but they haven't done it annually because it hasn't always worked out. Like, they don't always have a full class to do a Young Lions Cup or to do a graduation. And it, there isn't always like a quote unquote graduation. Like, some guys, everyone progresses at different rates. Some guys are ready, some guys are not ready. And, you know, I, I do like the concept in theory, but I don't think it's
1: uh, implementable in reality. What do you think, Sam?
0: Yeah, well, I, I just like. I don't think they need a belt. They're not really there to have a championship at all. Um, you know, they're there to learn. They're there to get a little bit of exposure. They're there for the crowd to sort of start to get to know them, but they're not really meant to be in any sort of a um, like a prestige position or a, a highlighted position. Uh, and they have the Young Lions Cup, which, you know, that's, that's their tournament that they get to have. And I think, you know, that's a really cool tournament that they get every now and again when it, when they've got enough people there. And I think that's, I mean, considering that new Japan is also a a tournament promotion, they hold the G one, they have the best super juniors, like having, giving them a tournament, I think is enough of a highlight and enough of a sort of a, a moment for them to focus towards. Um, and they don't really need a belt outside of that.
2: Yeah. I mean, look at what happened with like Kitamura, uh, Company super high on him. They plan to give him a big push. They're gonna accelerate him, and it just doesn't work out. And now in the history books, they got Kitamura as like this champion, uh, as one of their tournament champions. And you know he's not really there anymore. And you know Carl Fredericks won it this past year. He's another guy that they they really plan to push. And we're very high on him. And uh, I I see big things from him. But who's to say that a year or two from now he, he's not gone? You know maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. We don't really know that sort of thing. But Um, I think they just have to kind of be careful on even putting any sort of prestige on a young line unless they have some sort of clear, real indication that they're going with him long term, you know?
1: Right, yeah. I agree with both of you guys. Uh, I love the, the Young Lions Cup tournament, and whenever they do those, those are always uh, fun to watch and um, great for those guys. And I love when guys get a shot in the bigger tournaments, like when we've seen like Narita mm. in the uh, Best Super Juniors, or we see uh, Connors in the Super J Cup, and we're, we get to see some of these Young Lions get spots in those tournaments. I think those are more beneficial for them, um, just learning-wise, being able to be in guys who are more talented than them, than, creating this like, Young Lions title and having defenses and stuff like that.
2: Now, I wouldn't be opposed to developing a Young Lion championship for me
1: to <laughs> hold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question here from Maza Murray Bone. He says, while not a question about Nakamura, with the IC title currently still on Naito, who can you see be the next IC champion and why? Um,
0: I, I think I'd that... Like- yeah, I'd, uh, He may not be the next champion, but the guy who I'd like to see get a really good run with it would be Zack Sabre Jr. Mm. Um, I think I don't think he's ever going to be at the heavyweight level, IWGP heavyweight level, but I think he could be a really solid, long-running IC champion.
2: Um, you know, I don't think that this will be the next guy who gets it, but someone I would love to see hold the title and get a push with it, Tomohiro Ishii.
1: Yeah, I mean... Ishii always has great great matches there. Uh, For me, the two guys that I would love to see are Shingo and Will Ospreay. Oh, yeah. Obviously, those guys are, I think both of those guys could be IWGB heavyweight champion. But in in the quest to get there, I think giving those guys some runs with IC titles and having the best match of the night with the IC titles and main eventing on the B shows, C shows with those guys with the IC title, I think would be great.
2: Yeah. And we don't have to get into a discussion with it, but we don't even know what the future of this belt is whether it's going to be defended separately, if they're going to split, if it's going to get vacated, if it's, uh, you know, all just right. part, of, if it's merged, we don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, that wraps up all the questions. And we just have two uh, quick news items here. So it did come out this week that uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is um, inviting fans and members of the media to watch a special online press conference. This coming up Tuesday, June 9th, um, noon Japan time. And the press conference will be concerned on the resuming of New Japan events. And this press conference is going to be available to watch on NJPW World and YouTube. Uh, we are recording this show on Saturday. so. Okay, babe. <laughs> so obviously we're we're not going to have the details for this press conference And we normally record on Monday So we still wouldn't have had the details even our, on our normal day So we don't know exactly what the plan is We've heard some rumors But obviously it looks like we're going to get New Japan back very soon
2: And yeah, we've had a lot of discussion on the show What we think potential scenarios for a return could look like Different show concept ideas uh, different business perspectives, as you know, depending on whether they run empty arenas, whether they run semi arenas, you know, with partial fans and everything of that nature. So at this point, we don't really know, and by the time you're listening, most likely the the news will already be out. So this is going to be a little day. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, speculate too much. But I can tell you right now, I haven't been this excited for a press conference uh, with New Japan since, like, I don't know, since, like, Kenny Omega had his head bandaged up and jumped all over Jericho. Like, <laughs> Jericho. <laughs> Jericho threw a freaking table at the press, like, like uh, this is going to be lit.
0: I, I, It seems like this would be them announcing what's going to happen with coming back, and it's, it's ty- like, even though in, in lots of places COVID-19 is under control, here in Australia we've had sport back well one of the sport winter sports rugby league back for two weeks now um they've actually even announced that next weekend they'll start having crowds um they're going to be very small crowds and i think just in corporate boxes to start with but you know that shows that things are starting to open up again so hopefully fingers crossed you know this hopefully we're getting them saying we're going to be having a big old tournament big old g1 later in the year and just getting in the best of super juniors and we can all get excited for new Japan again.
1: Definitely. And, and to go along with that, uh, Bushi Rhodes PR came out this week also uh, saying we put information on antibody testing for all athletes and pers- performers to resume to live event. In addition, aiming to resume live events, such as professional wrestling, the stage and live music. We will inform you that we decide to carry out an antibody test for all players for the safety and security of the players and performers.
2: Um, you know, I don't want to criticize the company too much, but I will tell you this, if their aim is to, you know, be as thorough with safety as they possibly can be, antibody testing is not enough. They need to be testing for active COVID tests as well as the antibody. All antibody will tell you is whether someone has previously had it, not whether they could potentially currently have it. So that, that, that's not sufficient enough at all.
1: Yeah, and I know that's kind of why UFC went away from doing it as well. And I did hear that they were also getting, um, at least New Japan was I think, are getting the COVID testing kits, or at least as much as they can um, as part of this relaunch here.
2: Well, they're as far as I've heard, in most parts of the world, uh, those tests are readily available at this point in time, just in you know in response to the pandemic. So, I don't, don't see any reason that a, a large corporation like Bushi Road shouldn't be able to uh, provide the performers with it. I could be presumptuous here. Maybe there is a reason, but uh, you know, for all the talk of their safety, which we have applauded them every step of the way, they've been the most you know socially responsible wrestling company. Uh, I would just have to imagine if they're going to continue that trend that they're going to also test like other companies are, because if they aren't, then kind of goes back on, you know, a lot of what they've kind of worked to do here. Yeah. Um, But I think that is pretty much going to do it. Uh, um, Sam, it's been a pleasure having you on the show here. Um, You know, tell us about any projects you're working on, where we can find you, anything that you got upcoming, you know, plug your shit.
0: Yeah, look, you can find me on Twitter uh, on Sir, at Sir underscore Samuel. Uh, or if you go to WrestlingHeadlines.com, you can see my... Generally, it's a weekly column at the moment. Uh, I had a had a week or two off um, just with some stuff going on in my family and just enjoying a bit of a break. But typically, I write there once a week. Uh, but yeah, main place to get me would be in Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. But thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate uh you guys having me on
1: yeah loved having you Absolutely. and um i see that you guys are, are doing a uh lords of pain draft and I, have, I just want to tell you that you are cleaning up in that draft sir <laughs> <laughs> you were <My, laughs> just a mopping the floor with those guys man so Jeez.
0: My, my strategy is basically pick a wwe guy and then put them against a new japan wrestler <laughs> so i've got like this the 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 known name of the uh, of the WWE ro- worker and then the you know the quality the the true in ring quality of a New Japan wrestler <laughs>
1: yeah so good stuff there Great. check out Sir Sam on Twitter and all his columns at WrestlingHeadlines dot com and Cheers. well
2: Jeremy. It looks like we need to powder out this bitch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So uh, next week we'll be back with Rich Latta from One Nation Radio and Social Suplex to discuss the winner of the Elite Poll. So go out there and vote. (laughs) (laughs) Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Hangman Page, or Cody. If you want to pull a rib on Rich, then you can vote for Cody. Uh, But vote for who you want us to talk about next week here with Rich Latta. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at style on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash suplex. You can find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Circle on instagram we're at social suplex on reddit on the pro black guy josh is keeping it strong style you can email me jeremy at social suplex.com check out all the other shows on the social suplex podcast network on sundays we have one nation radio hosted by rich latta and james boyd on wednesdays pretty soon hopefully we'll have the return of the rookie and clive wrestling show we also have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling grown men watch this shit hosted by jeremy tate and chris bryan On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And then on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., Tiffany, and Austin. So don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next time on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
0: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.